the dress comes up in India, by the way. Oh, what? Thanks for telling everyone. Wait, that works. It, by the way, that's true in Sweden for everybody. Every single person in Sweden, if you Google their name, you get not only their address, but their tax records, their, their income. How much oh they God. paid for their apartment. Yeah, and, and, but, but not if the Swede actually is living in a secret mountain location in Thailand. Exactly. Yeah, only if they're in Sweden. But I've, that always catches people off guard. Like, they do what with their data? Like, yeah, it's uh, that's why they the Swedes are so sensitive uh, and understand the importance of data. It, okay, it, the trick the trick in the UK is if anybody who sets up a sorry anybody who sets up a company. Yeah, no, because in Japan still. Um, People are wondering about the data and the, the privacy for the data, and we don't trust government about the data. Uh-huh. Is it really true that in Sweden, yeah. you, you literally publicly opened so much that kind of data? Yeah, your home address, your cell phone number, your salary or your income, yeah, uh, how much you pay in taxes, and uh, your, if you have an apartment, how much you pay for your apartment, all of that's very easily, yeah. So, Tyler, managed to that accept the situation. Say again. Right, I'm just curious. How, how come people actually accept that kind of openness? Uh huh. Why do they accept it? Yeah. Let me let me invite a Swedish friend up here to to answer that for you. Any Swedish friends in the audience want to take that one on? Right, you raise your hand here. Uh, as the rest of the, Andre is in the audience. He's actually Romanian, but he lives in Sweden. Um, who else? I live in Sweden. Uh, yeah, I know you do, Victor. But you're American. But I, I want to get like a Swede who grew up in the in the in the in it to explain it. Here, here's Andre, and Daniel uh, lives in Malmo, although I, he's uh, Texan Sweden, I believe. So, Tyler, the question I have is: if you can Google them and find out all this information, how many Eric Johansons are there? <laughs> yeah, you look that up. Uh, Jen Jensen's. Yeah, there, there's, <laughs> there is a shortage of last names and first names. Uh, it's not; they're not real diverse on the names there yet. Uh, but how, how are they going to protect themselves from stalkers or crazy people? It, it is that is an issue, and that's I think partly why people don't talk to each other in public. Actually, <laughs> like they're, now, they're... to be you, you can also get this information taken down if you really want to. But uh, amazingly, lots of people have it up on on Hit the Pontese, which is just a website you can type oh, there's, in. There's Google. ten. There's ten different ones. Ratsit and Hit, and there's really about a dozen different websites that track all this so it would you would spend a good amount of time if you wanted to try and take it all down from all the, the different sites that list it all they just consider it all public information but i mean it's not just everybody's information every politician and every business person it's very hard to be corrupt in sweden because of this and that's partly why they like it. they like the transparency especially in the government and just to highlight it when when people who work for the government you know, they have a business credit card. Everything's credit cards. Nothing's cash. And that's also partly because they can be transparent about uh, the when you pay your taxes. The government already knows everything that you've bought and spent and they do your taxes for you. They just send you an SMS saying, here's how much you owe. Just click yes to accept. And so taxes are very, very simple because of that. Um, but uh, same with the government. Anybody who works for the government when they use their credit card, they, of course, have their personal credit card for their personal expenses, but they have their business credit card for their business expenses. And every single expense they make is public in near real time. And the journalists watch their expenses 
in near real time. And there was what we had called Snicker, Snickergate or Candy Bar Gate in Sweden, where a politician bought a candy bar uh, on their business card. And that made headline news. And that person had to step down because of it. And that's- oh, my God. And- Hi yeah. Tyler. Yeah. Interesting conversation. And actually the, the funny the funny it was a Toblerone bar. And actually she was supposed to be the next prime minister. And I think she will regret that for all her life. Yeah. Was Mona Salin and then she lost the prime minister. I mean uh, she was one hundred percent sure to I'll be gi- the prime I'll minister. I'll give you I'll give you another example, because I have a lot of friends who work in the government, because I work directly with the government. So when you when you have lunches or afternoon coffees or dinners with any government folks they're always five minutes late, generally, even though Swedes never want to be late. That's they're normally always on time. But the government folks tend to be, especially the more high profile they are, they tend to be a few minutes late. And I couldn't figure out this out. I was like, why are my government friends always late? This is very strange. And one of them is a super VIP. He even has to have uh, he's the head of the migration agency, actually, for anyone who wants to immigrate into Sweden. And um, I was like, why? Why is he always late? Mikkel Ribbenvik. And turns out he explains to me, well, if, you know, he every time he has to go to a meeting, he has to look at the different routes that are available, like on Google Maps. And you can take uh, a taxi or a car or a bike or a walk or a train or whatever. If he takes a taxi and a journalist will see that he took a taxi and if there was a bus that could have got him there in the same amount of time, that would have he could have spent less to get there then he will be in the papers the next day wondering why he took a taxi when he could have taken a bus so he's late because he wants to take a taxi or no, because he was he's, a he's late because he will be in trouble if he spends taxpayer money by taking a taxi when he I could know, have taken a bus so efficient. he can leave home like 5 10 minutes earlier right then he won't be 5 minutes late i'm with the same situation, he can leave five minutes yes, earlier. Cheryl, the, the, the issue—the issue isn't being no, late or not. Yeah, so Cheryl, you—you you, you totally—you—you completely misunderstood the point. It's not about I'm if sorry. he's late or not. It does forget being late. If he goes to any meeting, any meeting uh-huh. he goes to, he has uh-huh. to generally take buses every time. Yep. Yes, because uh, if he takes a taxi, the only way he would could validate taking a taxi is to prevent himself from being late for the meeting, essentially. I know, but my point is, even if you're taking a bus to work, like anybody in Tokyo, you still have no excuse of being five minutes late. Yes, uh, you're yeah, trying but to... you got lots of meetings. You go in between meetings. Yeah, so da- that sort of Daniel, she's trying to introduce a cultural point of Tokyo that the trains are never late. This is only a cultural point that Tomoko and I and people who live in Tokyo even understand. She's talking to a room of 200 people about something two people understand in the room. Yeah. Yes, Cheryl. We, yes, yes, Cheryl. It is true. The Tokyo trains are so accurate that if the... If the train is late, it becomes one national second. news. Yes. At the same time, you he could use his own money to drive, Correct. To take a cab, right? That's right. And he didn't do that. That's right. And he was really And, for and the he meeting. would do that. That's exactly right. <laughs> okay. But that's Tomoko-san. why you don't have financial uh, you know, you don't have politicians, you know, the the level of corruption is so much lower. In, in, in the and he doesn't yeah. want to take a taxi by with and pay by pay by himself. Right. Well, he could, but uh, you know, if he's doing, if he's going to a meeting that's related to the government, then you know, it's 
it's understood that he would uh, use the government's uh, budget to get him. To yeah, but if he he was he knew he knew he would be late, then and he didn't have any choice either be late or pay by himself. No, he, uh, if he knows he's going to be late, he can he can use his government expense for it, and then the, then he can explain to the journalist, "Look at the time I left. Look when the meeting was starting. I needed to take a taxi." So to to to, to, to take the pressure off uh, the, the unfortunate Swedish politician, can I ask a question about yeah. Japan, please? Yeah. And um, so so to Shara the Tomoko. Is um, is the Tokyo Olympic eminently on? Oh, despite the great question, despite the trickiness of the uh, of the pandemic situation. A lot of a lot of things is going on on media bay. Yeah. Yes, and don't ask me. Okay, from the first officially day, for... it's still on. Yes, officially, uh, and, but there's yeah. a lot of uh, unhappiness in oh. the society here that it should be off. Yeah. Including the doctors' union are actually uh, asking the government to call it off because they, they don't want to support any you know extra capacity if anything happened. So and uh, by and I think there was a petition that were, that actually garnered two hundred thousand signature within two days to yes. actually call it off. But I think there's a lot of implication if they uh, I mean call it off from the uh, Japan government side because, you see, there are such, some... I mean, of course, it's definitely running a lot because so much money has already been set, uh, so put into it. But if the government call it off, I think they may have to compensate a lot a lot more. So unless it is the IOC's initiative to call it off, uh, I don't think the government would do it. Yeah, it is, I think it seems to be a bit chicken race now between Japanese government and um, well, JOC and IOC. Um, Miss Koike Yuriko, the governor of Tokyo, mm-hmm. there's a rumor that she is now secretly discussing about how they can manage to withdraw with dignity and not pay <laughs> any um, penalty. Compensation, yeah. Compensation, yes. Yeah, anyway, that's what I say. We will not know until it happens. Exactly. And also, you know, there are so many stakeholders are counting on the, um, the Olympic Games, including ex-JOC chief, Mr. Mori. So, you know, it's always thinking about who is getting money from where. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, there's a lot of bad publicity now around uh, Exactly, yeah. And including JOC leader, the, um, Mr. Coates said, we can do it because we have the spirit to do that. And now, it's like a fighting war against America in Japan during the Second World War. We talked about the spirits. We can have the spirit. We have the spirit, so we should be able to win. You talk about like a gambate spirit, yeah? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so gambari masho. Gambari Okay, so let's 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 introduce. Let's introduce the the issue, the the topic of gambate to the, our international audience. So Japan has this word that is very powerful in Japanese and is used all the time, every day, which is gambate. And gambate is, uh, is difficult to translate, but in English you could say fight or persevere or carry on or give it your best and don't just do it. Yeah, you know, don't don't give up. Yeah, and. Um, 
you could, yeah. And people, when they are, you know, in the afternoons and they're tired and they need coffee or, you know, you'll hear people say all the, all the time, you know, you can do it. And they're constantly supporting each other. They fight it. You can do it, you know? And what they're saying is, is, you know, this, this word also gets used, you know, in much bigger uh, contexts like this issue of the Olympics. Like we can do this, you know, gambate, we, we, we must fight on to make this happen, you know? So um, it's a super powerful word in, in Japanese, uh, very high on the list of ones people should learn culturally. It feels like something we should have a vote, Tyler. Yeah. To see if oh, should the they have the Olympics? Oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I have one other issue to introduce related to this, which is apparently because af- the next uh, games is at the Winter Games. China has the next Olympics, right? Beijing, yeah, Beijing. Yeah, Beijing games. And apparently Beijing is already starting to be a little bit nervous about what's going on. And they are actually hoping that uh, Tokyo does cancel so that it puts less pressure on them. Because if Tokyo does it, then they then they have to do it. I think Beijing would do it because uh, it's easier. A, a year later, all the, all, the, all the vaccine would be yeah. much more... Uh, ready. Sure. The, uh, Tokyo yeah. is in a very unfortunate uh, delegate time. Yeah. That uh, uh, people, yeah, a lot of people are still so, exactly the people. Rate is not, not so sure. high. Very low. Actually. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, um, Thailand, where I'm at, has traditionally had practically zero COVID. I mean, we've managed to control it. it the first two waves, you know, we we basically ended, and now there's a third wave that is really bad, actually, for the first time, and now. Singapore is having its first real cases that are being reported today. Where so Singapore has been one of the best at controlling it, and now they've they're at their highest peak yet. Uh, so it's interesting that the countries that have done so, such a fantastic job of controlling it thus far, when Europe and America were, you know, just flailing, and now the Asian countries that had it all under control are starting to lose control of it. Just to give you an uh, additional context around uh, Japan. And the Tokyo well, Olympics. Yeah, Taiwan seems to be having issue again. Yeah. Yeah, the Taiwanese health minister made a really funny public announcement yesterday. So apparently, one of the super spreaders is the former chairman of the Lions Club in Taiwan, who went into a brothel. So the health minister said he had um, he had a connected interrelationship with multiple members in an entertainment forum on public tele- on national television from the health minister. Mm. It's going to get tricky. So let's do a poll. Should Tokyo do the Olympics? Because by the way, they've already canceled it once, right? And so this would sort of be a bit of a national embarrassment. I mean, Japan also has this concept of hazukashi, which means like em- embarrassment. And uh, you don't want to be hazukashi, you know. You don't. <laughs> embarrassment is something you work very hard to avoid in Japan. Um, and there would be a little bit of embarrassment if they ha- they would feel themselves. I mean, everybody else would understand. America and Europe, most of all, would understand, right? But um, you know, they don't want to disappoint. That's a very big Japanese uh, characteristic as well. Is you don't want to disappoint people. So, let alone themselves. And so the question is, should they? try and pull off this Olympics now because it's the second time. And if they don't do it now, it's now or never because uh, then it goes to China next. So uh, let's do a quick poll. Should Japan try and proceed with the Olympics now on the second time? Please raise your hand if you think they should. 
gambate and power on and do this. Let's do this. <laughs> my my Japanese friends, we can we can do this. Gambate. Okay, so we're up to 11, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17. Do I see 18? Give me 18. We got 18, 18, 17. Go ahead. We have 18. We got 20, 21, 22. Going once, going 23, going twice. Sold for 23. 23, yes. Uh huh. And who thinks that Japan, Tokyo should not do the Olympics? Are you out of your goddamn mind? You're going to have a super spreader event and send the world uh, into an ec economic apocalypse. What are, are you thinking? Hell no, they should not do the Olympics in Tokyo. Uh, going, we're at 25, 26, 27, 28, 32, 33, 32, 33, going once. Oh, dear. 34, 35, going twice. 35, 36, 36, going twice. 36. Yeah. yeah. So is <laughs> it Olympic is in trouble. Okay, done. Double. Hey, by the Double on the no, but the good thing is, is Cheryl. Basically, everyone's going to understand yeah. if Tokyo cancels. Mm. I mean, mm. yeah. Morning, yeah, Tyler. Uh, are you guys tweeting these numbers out? By the way, no. That's a good idea. Oh, that is hey, a great way, idea. Way, oh, way, yeah. By the way, Tyler, Tyler. Yeah. Just like you I'm, said, I'm not sure. Is, Tyler is going up in cases. It's only 34 yesterday. What are you talking about? Um, hold on, hold, hold, hold on. The, the three thousand is in Thailand. Yeah. The one I, the news I sent you was in Thailand. Thailand yeah. prison. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. That is Thailand prison. That's not yeah. Singapore. Oh no, well I'll Thailand? I'll send you one about Singapore right now. The, the headlines Oopsie. in the news is that Singapore has the highest cases ever. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Ame. Okay, great. Hey, good morning. Uh, there you know, it's so wild that we could take this po this poll and vote in I, I have such dear friends that are Japanese, and I understand what you're saying, Tyler, about the culture just being very, very willing to please and not really disappointing because it also shuns a light on them. Yeah. But a little bit of insider stuff, uh, it's probably going to go through. My brother-in-law works for Embassy Sports, he's a cameraman, and they've already gotten the charter plane ready to go, and they've been getting prepped for it. So they, this is two months out. They can't cancel it because it would lose a lot of money for the whole establishment of the Olympics. So they're going to go in with great caution. It's also why part of the reason why the United States has also been, they've been really adequate about making sure the people getting vaccinations that are going there, they're, they're making sure that's happening. So basically NBC Sports is paramount and they're, they're going to go. So you heard it here first folks it's on it would probably be it would probably be a really really drop dead situation that they wouldn't go like you said tyler i think it would be a really it would have to be something 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 really really dramatic but at some point even dr fauci i don't know tyler were you listening to him on clubhouse when he yeah. had like seven thousand people I did. it's a very interesting dynamic because the united states has a lot of numbers that have been um inoculated and i think that's the interesting part and i would probably bet to look at who is going to be attending the olympics you see like who in the olympics because they can also do events like they did in holland where they limit it by tickets who could actually go and if that's the case they could still run the olympics but they would probably segregate or make it very specific the number of tickets that they put out there which in turn would probably leave it in the higher percentage of people that could afford it uh-huh. Um, so no, no, it's actually on media that they are going to keep those people coming in because of the Olympics. Even that means when they are part of the team to 90,000 people, it is much lesser number than usual. Correct. Yeah. But all these are all official numbers. But I think, it's, as I say, you will never know until the last moment because there's a lot of 
things going on in Japan now that even the doctors, okay, they, the, the IOC wants, wants the hospital to actually uh, come up with uh, facilities allocated for the Olympians, but the, the governors, the, the hospitals are all refusing it. So right now, facility-wise, it's actually really nobody is not going to... Because, you know, Japan is still a democratic... Uh, it's, it's a democracy, right? It's, it's similar to US. So the, even if you force it down, it's not possible because it's not possible to mandate by law. So if they, the, the ground people, they refuse it, so they have to come up with something, you know? So right, that's why, I mean, of course, from IOC's point of view, they still want to go, go, on, go on unless they cancel it, but they will not do it, right? And Japan side will not do it as well. So we just have to wait and see until the last moment. And I think people have also lost interest with the Olympics. The, the cases I, I, are still higher than last year, and the, the vaccine rate is very low. Yeah, I, just, uh, just as a point here, I, listen, I talked to my uh, uh, daughter and other people. I said, do you care about the Olympics? And people don't care. Like, they're, they're actually, yeah, they this is a care. big risk. Amy, I think that's one of the risks that the, the, the Federation faces, is that people are getting less and less interested. They were already having issues Correct. with uh, some of the sports, with the young yeah, people. I agree right? with you. So that's why they got some of the new sports in, like yep. snowboarding and uh, not snowboarding. What am I saying? Um, what's the new one that they're doing for the young people? Uh, skateboarding. Uh, Skateboarding. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. skateboarding to try and make it relevant. And now that there's a big risk that people who cares, right? I mean, right now, like, <laughs> yeah, who cares? You're, do you're, that. Cal, you're absolutely correct. That's actually the other side of it. Is that what is the new? I mean, do we need this Olympic Federation? Do we need this? Um, yeah, it's super fascinating because I know that they were also a few years ago from the United States or California. I know with Bikram as a Bikram teacher, they were. We do have an organization that has been in communication for about maybe 10 years now to put yoga into the Olympics, Bikram yoga, because it is such a set sequence of 26 postures and it's so heavily, heavily enjoyed all over the world and it's one of the largest brands of yoga that many people know, right? Even though some may not consider it yoga, it's still a program that is followed and can be measured in a competitive stance. So you're correct. I noticed that it'll probably be a toss-up if Cheryl said whether or not practically speaking we'll know it right away it may be last minute hmm. so there has been an outbreak in singapore in the changi cluster i think it's because of a migrant worker trying to get back and there are about 30 cases so uh, yeah. i think tyler was right it's actually 46 cases which makes it singapore's act most active cluster and Amy, I don't think Bharat is <laughs> yoga, but we can have a separate... Okay. Oh, Monica, I agree with you. But also, there's it's a gateway to many people, Monica, that have a challenge with spirituality. And we could have that conversation off off topic as well, because I totally agree with you, because I'm a, I'm a Shivananda teacher and I've lived in an ashram. So I do agree with you, <laughs> but that's a separate context but I, I i see that and but i also know that when someone doesn't really understand yoga and they need an entry bikram has entered a lot of people into yoga that have left bikram and gone to ashtanga or or Iyengar. so tyler there's a very interesting metric to look at here which is what the bookkeepers think um yes. on a lot of the crypto exchanges there's actually a prediction yep. um betting pool yep so i'm looking at ftx with 1.4 million contracts open on the olympic betting pool wow and so one dollar would be uh that it would take place uh zero would be that it wouldn't take place hmm. so right now it's trading at 0 0.761 0 0.761 so mostly people are saying it will by like 76 percent. i just put up a poll you know how yeah. Twitter allows 
you can make a poll inside of a tweet. Yeah. So uh, if you look on the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, there's now a poll. Should to- should Tokyo cancel the Olympics again? Uh, take a look at it. Uh, it's the most recent tweet from the Tech News Around the World Twitter account at T-N-A-T-W. And you might as well keep that open uh, because we're going to be sharing a lot of the headlines that we discuss here in the next couple hours will be shared in real time as we discuss them. Um, uh, just like uh, Poppy, uh, I'm going to retweet one right now. Uh, uh, Poppy shared one about Tokyo Olympics poll shows 60% of Japanese people want games canceled. And here there was more about 66%. So interesting, quite, uh, quite on par with uh, the Japanese themselves. And let's see how this poll turns out here on Twitter. Uh, and again, with the way that we do headlines now, um, it looks like everyone remembers from yesterday because my DMs, thankfully, are, are a bit uh, light today. Uh, how we do it is um, if you have, a, if you see a headline that you think we should discuss here, and you can do this 24 hours a day now. That's the other beautiful part about this is tweet it from your own Twitter account, but make sure to cc uh the tech news around the world twitter account at tnatw so that i it shows up in my notifications and then uh, i'll either like it if i think it's a good article or i might even retweet it to what uh, the growing list of followers on the account what are we up to now 685 and we're growing at about 50 a day so it's um a very cool new way and there's another really interesting benefit to this whole twitter uh, second screen experience, uh, in addition to getting all of the links where you can deep dive into these articles that we're discussing and doing polls. Uh, and thank you to Akil for th- tossing the idea out. Um, is that on the weekends, you know, we meet here in Clubhouse Monday to Friday twice again, twice a day, which you can see the schedule by clicking on the title of this room. But what, uh, we, we are testing out the Twitter Spaces version, their version of Clubhouse on the weekends from time to time. It still seems quite limited there's only 10 people allowed to speak at the same time. There's all kinds of uh, limitations where it might not be suitable for our purposes, but we, we uh, enjoy testing it out. So if you want to test it out over the weekends, that's another great reason to follow the Tech News Around the World Twitter account, because when we go live there, you'll get a notification and you can see what Tech News Around the World is like in Twitter land. Um, and um, yeah, but please do share in interesting articles that you find, just as m- many people have done. I want to share some of those now. And to do so, I need to go back about 12 hours from when we stopped the last meeting because people have been sending in fantastic articles ever since then. And the first one was by our friend Cheryl on stage, which I just retweeted about Binance. And uh, Binance faces probe by U.S. money laundering and tax authorities. The Justice Department, IRS, seek information about the crypto exchange. The federal agencies haven't accused Binance of any wrongdoing, mind you. But where there's smoke, there might be fire. And uh, they, they certainly are, the, the journalists covering this uh, certainly seem to be hoping that they find <laughs> something because um, they love a good drama, don't they, uh, the tech journalists? So um, that's our first crypto news of the day is that now Binance is coming under the scrutiny of the U.S. kind of... Um, financial system and authorities like the IRS. Any, uh, Ame, any, or any, any comments from anyone on stage around uh, Binance's coming under the scrutiny of the U.S. now? Hey, Tyler. Hey. Um, yeah, I'll just give one quick comment. This has actually been an ongoing process for a few months now. So in some ways, it, uh, it, it's the news that's continuing, actually. So it's not current. It's just that CZ Binance has been really 
really under fire simply because of like I had mentioned a few month, a couple maybe a month ago or so a few weeks ago that um, Americans could still access Binance.com and he even said it himself he like, I can't keep everyone out and the the reality is is that he's just not taking 100% responsibility to find to make sure that Americans are not in that site because the Americans are still in the Binance.com exchange, which is not open to the United States by the use of VPNs, they're still accessing. But at that point, that's what the United States is challenging because they do KYC and they do the, a the AML, but also they only do, K they do KYC at the first level for level one and then level two, level three is when the money starts going higher, right? So what the challenge there is, is that the KYC on Binance.com from 2017 was open the amount was open and then after things started to happen recently about four months ago five months ago with Binance when they also threw out all the Americans that were on their account ah. they acted because I was on their account in 17 and they threw me out mm. probably about five six months ago and then they changed their KYC and AML identification to three tiers and that's where it gets to be a bit interesting and they also pushed me to the Binance US site because they do have a Binance Binance US site. So this has been an ongoing battle between the United States and CZ, Finance, CZ Binance as well, because he's like, look, I can't do more than I've already done already. And he's right to some degree because he's thrown all the Americans out. Okay. I'm, you know, yep. So there you go. Very cool. Thank you for that <clears throat> update. Um, Dan, I know this is getting past your bedtime there in the US. Do you want to do your uh, some climate news? Sure. So we had a fantastic discussion this morning, two and a half hours with climate scientist Kevin Anderson. And if you weren't there, you really missed something. And I can't really, you know, compress two and a half hours into, into two minutes. But let me just tell you a few quotes uh, from today. One is um, there's a lot of discussion about whether carbon capture is a moral hazard. I don't know if you guys have heard that, but, you know, is the thought of being able to use carbon capture stopping us from reducing emissions as we should? And Kevin has spoken out on this. He made it clear today. He, he does not think that the concept or the implementation of what's called negative emission technologies is a moral hazard. It's the use of them to delay emissions reductions is the moral hazard. I agree with him on that, by the way. Um, and then speaking of that, so if you don't use negative emissions technology, so, so with the Paris Accord, you're hearing numbers, well, we have to get to net zero by 2050, you know, to have a chance of staying under two degrees and, and 1.5 degrees, we can do it, we can do it just by using renewable energy. So he said, uh, without using negative emissions technologies, which by the way, he's not sure, I'm, I'm confident they can scale if we incentivize them, he's not so sure. Um, he said, in order to stay under 1.5 degrees, we have to go to zero emissions, the whole world, by 2029. So I'll say that again, zero emissions by 2029. That's not something we're working on. We, we would need folks. cold fusion to happen to make that happen, I think, at this point. Uh, well, no, we have renewables. We could do it with renewables, but we're not even, you know, really doing anything yet. Uh, that's and then for staying under two degrees, the developed world would have to go to zero emissions by uh, 2035, and the rest of the world by 2050. Um, and that's also 
we're not on track for any of right. that. Um, but in my mind, that's one reason why we do need negative emissions. <laughs> but uh, all right, so that's uh, one thing. And then speaking of how hard would it be to cut our emissions, he suggests focusing on the high emitters. And th this was kind of a blow your mind statistic. The highest 1% of greenhouse gas emitters emits more than twice what the bottom 50% emit. The top 1% emit two times what the bottom 50% emit. And who is that? So that's, it's people who fly, wealthy people who fly <laughs> a lot. Did you, did you have any discourse on that? I mean, what were the reactions to that? Because he's talking to a bunch of people that fly, right? Or, or spend that money. So what so was air, the reaction? I'm airline pilots. About, we need, we yeah. need to ban airline pilots. Like, well, what was no, the reaction to that, Dan? I, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, it's, 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 first of all, it's a, it's a radio. I've seen I'm all these tech talks. Him. I've seen all this stuff. But what's the reaction to that? Like, how do people feel? That's what matters because that's when you get to action. Well, no, we're going to – I'm going to give you a, my, my climate headline here separately. Anyway, so that was it. Uh, I mean, it was in-depth. It was great. He tells it like it is. Um, he made one point, which I never thought about before. He said, climate science isn't really a thing. It's just science. It uses the same physics and chemistry and biology as all the other sciences. And it's not really a separate domain, which I thought was an interesting point. Uh, not not a not critical point to what we were talking about, but I just, it, was, it was just filled. He has a lot of wisdom on, on the path we need to take to keep under certain temperatures and, uh, the, and the reasons why we're not doing it and things like that. And Anyway, it was a fantastic discussion, so I'll just have to leave it at that. There's lots of stuff of him online that you can see, and so I suggest you do that if you're interested. And uh, anyway, so that was Kevin Anderson. So my headline for today is very much related, but it's very different at the same time. And I did tweet this to the Tech News Around the World account. About Exxon? So you can see this. Yeah, about yeah, Exxon. I've been, I've been waiting so for you to get to it, so I will now retweet it. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So it's a peer-reviewed paper titled Rhetoric and Frame Analysis of ExxonMobil's Climate Change Communications. And basically, it says that ExxonMobil was following the tobacco industry playbook to basically blame the problem on individuals rather than on the fossil fuel industry. And they did this by the way they talked about it. Uh, and they talked about uh, internally, they talked about fossil fuel combustion. But in uh, externally, they talked about um, energy demand and consumers energy demand. And they, again, instead of fossil fuels internally, they talked about greenhouse gases in their public uh, facing things. And they also always talked about climate change risk as opposed to the reality of climate change and on and on and on. It's, it's a great set of tweets, by the way, where they kind of summarize the whole thing. And this is, comes exactly out of the tobacco industry uh, uh, playbook, which says a uh, playbook to tell the public that smoking is a quote risk factor but, quote, not a proven cause. And they said, this is not figuratively. This is literally from the 1996 Reynolds Tobacco Company PR training manual. <laughs> so, um, anyway, and also talk about uncertainty. And by, by the way, as, as a broader issue, uh, climate change is often framed as, hey, you got to reduce your carbon footprint, right? How can you reduce your carbon footprint? Well, I'm going to do this to reduce my carbon footprint. And that all is putting the blame on the individual for using energy, as opposed to the fact that the system is giving you energy that has carbon in it, and it could just as easily give you energy that doesn't have carbon in it, and that would solve the system problem. And yeah. so they want to 
they want to shift the blame on the individual instead of the company. Anyway, very got, interesting. Uh, yes, thing. that is. I just retweeted that. And then Cheryl shared one from Nikkei, Japan, Japan and U.S. taking aim at China's developing status on emissions. Uh, pressure builds on world's number two economy of China to accelerate decarbonization. Tokyo, uh, Japan and the U.S. will begin discussing concrete measures to pressure China's China to curb greenhouse gas emissions, including ending preferential treatment on climate issues afforded to Beijing as a quote unquote developing economy. And <clears throat> that's a, a heated debate, no pun intended, um, amongst climate folks. Is it not the, the development status of China affords them um, uh, a bit of um, extra margin to right. for emissions and the question is should that not be removed now that they're the world's second largest economy yada yada right yes yeah so i will tweet that out from nikkei japan and um please do follow the tech news around the world twitter account because it's uh growing quickly it's got a lot of people sharing all kinds of articles and if you want to see all of the people tweeting at me amazing articles now you can do a search on twitter for at tnatw and you'll see the the nice stream of brilliant headlines coming in. I only retweet, you know, maybe 10% of them. I'm kind of doing the editorial work of cherry picking my favorites. Um, and here's here's an interesting one uh, kind of following up on a developing story. Uh, David, uh, the Chinese uh, population issue. You want to do this one from South China Morning Post? Sure. Um, so it's talking about uh, the Rust Belt problem in China, which is primarily concentrated around what's referred to as the three northeastern provinces. Uh, so this is, uh, you know, and historically this place is called Manchuria. Um, it was always considered outside of traditional Han Chinese region. So um, very, very sparsely populated. But when the Communist Party took over uh, as part of their economic initiative at the time was to build out heavy industry in this area. So they also established uh, top universities to help train the talent that would go into these heavy industries. Um, but as China sort of modernizes even more, um, a lot of the a lot of the folks from this part of the country have been uh, moving down to the coastal provinces that, that ensures uh, even higher wages and, and better employment. So as a result, uh, many of these areas are facing uh, aging population that's so bad that it's actually about uh, one third of the population in many of the prefectures are over 60 years old. And uh, with the sort of decline in these heavy industries, we're seeing more and more of an exodus of younger talent. So I think this will be interesting for sort of China to take some lessons out of the U.S.'s book and seeing how the U.S. has addressed the Rust Belt problem and how it helps revitalize and modernize these areas. Um, and, and the domestic sort of tension that it creates within China is because this region is... Um, uh, well, you know, quite depressed economically. Um, there's almost sort of a uh, prejudice against uh, Chinese people from this region. Um, and obviously, it doesn't help that they feed into the stereotype um, with uh, crime-related activities. So I think um, both from an economic, political, and also a social uh, standpoint, it'll be it's something that we should keep an eye out on because it will cause a lot of... Um, a lot of a lot of social distress just because of the economic problems in this area of the country. Cool. Thank you for that, David. Um, 
I'm still keeping it on the Asia theme. Uh, Cheryl shared, and I just shared on Twitter, Japan outlines new cybersecurity strategy. Just as we announced yesterday about the Joe Biden's executive order to um, pass whole new cybersecurity uh, policies to protect uh, U.S. infrastructure uh, in the wake of the colonial pipeline attack, which uh, to reiterate, in case you missed the, the big headline in the, our last meeting 12 hours ago, the, it has now been revealed that the, um, the hackers were paid a ransom of about $5 million, uh, but was paid in Bitcoins. And that touches on a previous article from a week ago that Bitcoin is, in some sense, helping to um, make these hackings uh, have become more popular uh, because they're able to benefit from um, the use of Bitcoins. It's, uh, it facilitates it to some capacity, not to demonize the currency. In any that was always way. the case, wasn't it, Tyler? They always asked for Bitcoin. Yeah, that's my point is that there is probably the correlation of the rise of these hacks. They probably were going to happen anyways, but the fact that uh, the Bitcoin helps facilitate the financial transaction that certainly uh, isn't hel- isn't helping things. But I don't know that it's necessarily hurting them, but it's it's just a, a, an asterisk on, on the headline. But uh, Japan now also outlines new cybersecurity strategy. The, do- the government disclosed an outline for its cybersecurity strategy for the next three years at a meeting on Thursday. The draft strategy says cyberspace has been further communalized as a result of digital economic development and the remote work that has been promoted during the coronavirus pandemic. The strategy is aimed at enhancing Japan's cybersecurity and as an integral part of planned digital reform and also calling for more close cooperation with infrastructure-related companies, universities, and organizations. The government also aims to increase its defense capability for the diplomatic and national security sectors to counter cyber attacks, cyber attacks with suspects like China, Russia, and North Korea. Uh, it's almost like a song at this point uh, with the, the bad actors in the cyberspace to some extent, although I've, I have heard from friends within China, they perceive that, of course, America is the bad actor in these regards. Uh, Chief Cabinet Secretary Kato said at the meeting that Japan's security environment has become increasingly severe and that cyberspace has become part of a playing field for competing countries. He added that the government cannot tolerate defensive advantage um, uh, in cybersecurity. So I just thank you for that one, Cheryl, and to everyone else who's sharing these fantastic headlines like Xping, the Chinese EV car, new EV car company, just reported a 500% increase uh, uh, compared to the same quarter. So EVs are exploding in China is, is the message there. Um, the world's largest crypto exchange, Binance, is reportedly under investigation, as we mentioned. A lot of people submitting that one, uh, and I retweeted that. Um, what else do we got here? Um, huge tunneling work ready to begin um, in launching in Florence, the first of 10 tunnel boring machines that will dig 64 miles of tunnels between London and uh, the West Midlands, uh, uh, part of the UK's new high-speed railway. So interesting to see that the, the tunneling is starting there. And that could have interesting implications. Uh, Los Angeles has been dreaming about this for a while. And Elon Musk is notoriously building tunnels for his own personal commutes from home to work um, in Los Angeles and now in um, Texas. So uh, to be continued, you didn't hear that from me, though. And I'm not playing the breaking news headline from that. 
that's not even breaking news yet. So um, the there's some Alibaba news that I tweeted out. Actually. Go for it, Akil. Uh, I, I'll I'll try and find that, but go ahead and share it. Um, Alibaba pushed to first operating loss since going public due to ah. China anti-monopoly fine. Indeed, yeah, but this is because they had the huge fines from the government, the anti anti-competition fine, huge like one point two billion dollars or something like that. I think it's like two point eight actually. There you go. Yeah, it was some massive amount that they were being fined, and it's hard to have a profitable quarter when you factor in such an incredibly large fine. So, understandably, uh, with with that removed, it'd be interesting. I imagine Alibaba still uh, doing quite well. The U.S. Um, shares have fallen more than thirty percent, apparently. Yeah, yeah, but I think I think investors might be misinterpreting the data. It's not um, may well. It depends on if the fine does impede their business going forward. Like if the fines also come with restrictions, uh, then it might force them to slow down business, and then the investors would, you know sell the shares. But if the fines were kind of penalties and it was business as usual, then maybe they're misinterpreting the headlines in a way. And that that's worth diving into if you are an Alibaba shareholder, of course. Um, three people who were supposedly Bitcoin founder Satoshi Nakamoto being uh, reported by Investopedia, if you love those um, Satoshi Nakamoto conspiracy theories. You can dive into that one. I just retweeted that from the Twitter account. Thank you for that, Poppy. And um, what else do we got here? A preview of Google's new Pixel 6 phone is being leaked. Uh, I'm tweeting that now from the account coming from uh, an Australian outlet. A potential first look at the upcoming Google Pixel 6. Um, and it, I have to say, it looks rather stunning. Like the whole front face beautiful beautiful you can see it uh, just by looking at the twitter account what a gorgeous looking device there uh google analytics prepares for a life after cookies uh, uh which the journalists i think are finally catching up to this story which the geeks have been aware of for quite some time now that um how how you know this uh, move away from traditional cookies which to a large extent have benefited uh facebook and google's advertising networks online and now Google uh, has figured out new ways to track people. So if they kill the cookie, it actually uh, is more of a blow to everybody else when Google has other ways to track its users, like uh, the browser that you're using. <laughs> they know every website you're going to anyways. And the phone that you're using, if it's an Android and all of the other ways, they don't, they don't need the cookies anymore. So it gives them a strategic advantage to kill the cookie that's empowering everybody else when they can make better use of the data that they have, ex the exclusive data that they have, and kill the data that everyone's sharing, which are these cookies, giving them kind of an unfair advantage. And that's why they're getting some heat for anti-competition in the EU and in the US, no doubt. And that no doubt that this issue will be raised. Um, uh, but... It also plays kind of into Apple's hands as well. And this is why you're seeing the rise of Apple's new ad network and whatnot. So I'm retweeting that one to the Twitter account. Thank you, Poppy. Um, what else we got? Um, um, there's more on the Boston Dynamics robo dog, as we covered about a week ago, where the New York Police Department had uh, leased one of these robo dogs to police New York City streets. 
and was very quickly met with an astounding hell no. Get that robo dystopian dog off of our streets. Didn't so you they- have like a four hour discussion on that? On yeah, we Saturday. did. <laughs> had a huge debate. Yeah. Should police be able to use robot dogs? And boy, it was a really polarizing debate uh, be- because as the Swede- well, some of my Swedish friends were pointing out, uh, so they don't like the robo dog, but they're okay with real dogs. But don't they know that the robo dog's not going to bite them like a real dog is? I mean, there was real. I mean, you can, you know, it gets into. Uh, there's so many different areas that conversation can go into that is not obvious until you open the floor for a two-hour deep dive on that issue. But boy, does that conversation get very interesting. Was uh, was any part of that that debate the fact that? It was called Boston Dynamics and not New York Dynamics. Uh, no, but that's an <laughs> <laughs> interesting point. Uh, but that one of Cheryl brought up, I thought one of the most interesting points is, hey, this exact same dog is in Singapore, and nobody, it never even made the headlines. Like nobody ever cared, and it's just, you know, telling people to be mindful of COVID dis- social distancing, basically. And and that's the other point. In New York, it was never. It never touched anybody. It never did anything. It never it never committed any fouls. You know, there was there's no accusations against it. It's just, they just fundamentally oppose the idea of it on a psychological, you know, emotional basis. Like just fundamentally, I metaphysically oppose it. You know, like the idea of of robots uh, having any sort of authoritarian role in uh, policing. Um, and then we it one like I black middle yeah I, yeah <laughs> and maybe that's why it was so opposed in in America not in Singapore because we have Black Mirror that did an episode somewhat related to this you know many many months ago and it maybe gave people a, a very harrowing preview of what could eventually come out of it. Um, somebody did mention it, it could have been tested in other cities, smaller cities first, and shown that they're safe and yada yada yada. It could have been tested by delivery companies and it could deliver food to your house so that people had a totally different impression of the use case but to throw it in the middle of manhattan in a policing context with its full military looking aesthetic um it it almost seems like they intentionally wanted this thing to get some flat you know um flack i mean you could have dressed it up like a uh, uh a pony in a small town in texas had it delivering you know donuts and people would have, you know, there, there would be Instagram, there would be a, a line of people waiting to take Instagram videos of this to share with their friends of how cute this damn thing is. And it's just, you know, the optics of it is really interesting. And why they weren't more mindful of that, I will never be able to figure out myself. Um, another headline from South China Morning Post, uh, keeping it on the China tip, there's a bunch on this chip shortage. I mean, it's interesting to see how this chip shortage issue went from a few headlines amongst, you know, the most geeky outlets to now super mainstream media your car car companies now are it's being reported in mainstream media everywhere um where you know how we're going to be feeling this impact you know now like cars are not available to purchase now because of uh the chip shortages um china's top memory maker denies secret plan to ditch u.s suppliers is one related headline from south china morning post and the future of China's chip industry depends on openness, says Chinese state media. Um, and I'll tweet those out so people can do deep dives on those. Uh, we did cover briefly yesterday that Italy fined Google 120 million euros for abuse of its um, you know, monopoly dominance, kind of as a point I made just a minute ago. That will continue to happen. Um, and thank you for that, Mafalda. 
Europe now has 70 unicorns, as being reported by my friends at Sifted up in the Nordics. Uh, but I would argue it's actually much higher than that because Stockholm alone has 19 unicorns now, and we've had six this year, so far this year alone. Not quite on the pace of India, but mind you, Stockholm's a million people and India's a billion people. So um, on, a per, on a percentage, on a per capita basis, we're still kicking India's ass. You know, I say that uh, <laughs> lovingly, of course, but uh, India's got just such a huge opportunity and both places are kicking a lot of ass on the unicorn front. Um, and here's another one from you, David, about these empty car lots and angry customers. Chip crisis throws wrench. Um, and this is from the Wall Street Journal. So I'm just retweeting that now. You want to touch on this one? Uh, sure. Um, so obviously because of uh, we're coming out of COVID, so there's a suddenly pent-up demand being released on car demand. But because of the chip shortage, suddenly there is a stop in the entire sort of supply chain and getting those cars uh, supplied with chips. And I think part of it also has to do with how much more chips we're using inside each car now compared to say 10 15 years ago oh yeah yeah i'll tell you this my father was a car mechanic he had a shop uh, for german cars porsche mercedes bmw and audi i grew up in that shop and i have uh very ingrained memories uh, every evening of him um, lamenting the fact that cars were becoming computers. And this was in the 80s. And he was like, these are not cars anymore. This is in the 80s. He's saying this repeatedly every night over dinner. He's like, now we need all these machines to plug in these cables to read the computer. And the computer tells us what's wrong with the car, blah, blah, blah. This is the 80s. That's, this is 40 years ago. So I can't, I can't imagine how much of a computer the cars are today from the perspective of the mechanics. You know what I mean? Just uh, yeah. really quickly on the topic of cars and, yeah. and computers, there's a headline on the verge from just five minutes ago uh -huh. of Italian authorities are fining Google $120 million uh, for an Android auto issue where yeah. they would not allow uh, an app to be, be installed there. Yes. Yep. And you're going to continue to see more of that. I think more so from the EU than in the US where they're very mindful because it's Google's an American company, uh, Apple, Facebook, all these American companies. And the EU is going to be like, hey, we don't, we don't really benefit by you taking over all of the data of our EU citizens, yada, yada, yada. And they're going to push back. And, um, and those companies don't have as quite as much uh, leverage in the EU legal system like they do in the US legal system with the lobbying and etc. So it's EU is really interesting to watch how they push back against the American big tech, you know, companies um, with regards to data and the EU is much more mindful about how this data is being used, honestly. So it's uh, especially in the Nordics. So it's uh, it's going to be very interesting. And yeah, all, seeing that fine, I think, is the one the first domino in what could become a huge wave um of course google will uh, challenge it just as amazon just challenged their big uh fine um and won uh, around their taxation out of luxembourg etc so it gets legal real quick but uh we'll keep following the headlines because this as we i did a uh a, a, a deep soliloquy as our friend dave likes to call them yesterday about what what this is really all leading to in the next 10 to 20 years is self-driving car networks that you know people will be able you're not no one's going to own cars anymore you're going to just hop in cars and ride them from place to place 
um, because the car companies don't want to sell you the cars anymore because they make too much money if they own them because they're going to be constantly be delivering goods and people and they can be ad based and the cost to ride anywhere will be next to nothing anyways. And um, there could be a lot of data absorbed from the passengers, even from the seats and the cameras in the car and the ads in the car and yada, yada, yada. So um, it'll be very interesting. The way to combat that, of course, is to keep the data out of the hands of these big companies. And I think the EU is starting to fundamentally understand that. And um, it depends. Yeah. It, well, let's see how it all shakes out day by day here. That's what we do. Yeah. Tyler, if yeah. I may. Yeah. Go, David. Daniel, sorry. Uh, since I'm Swedish and I don't want to be. I don't want to be late. I got a meeting in two minutes. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if, this, if you caught this before, but <laughs> but a, a couple of days ago, um, Enride, speaking of, of vehicles yes. and computers, yeah, uh, Swedish, yep, autonomous truck, yep. electric, all electric. They closed their Series B. Yep, from friends of mine. A couple of days ago. Yep, they did. Yeah. And Ironride is uh, a, a now a global leader in autonomous semi trucks, eighteen wheeler, um, you know, delivery, um, you know, the, the the large trucks that ship goods across countries all over the world. Ironride has a fully autonomous has been from the beginning, and when they started, it was maybe five six years ago, and it was just the founders. They they jumped yeah. on stage at my event to raise their first. Fund, fundraising money uh, at the angel seed level. And I foolishly didn't invest, but uh, you can't blame me because everyone who was in the audience that day will attest that it was one of the worst pitches we have ever seen in, in front of an audience of about 500 people. It was a, a tragically bad pitch, um, but it's because they are true hardcore engineer geeks who are notably bad at pitching often. And I should have... Yep. And uh, when when this person, just to, the audience burst into laughter because the person who was pitching was so geeky and so engineering and the slides were so, you know, data geeky engineering, you know, slides that I said, you know, actually, I think I know what's happening here. I was trying to translate for the audience that, you know, this pitch is so absolutely terrible because in fairness, you're the CTO. And uh, you don't know anything about pitching because you're building the company, you know, as, as a as a chief technology officer and you've been forced to pitch, which, you know, technology officers never have to fundraise generally. And that's why this pitch is so bad. Right. And he says, no. I said, oh, well, what is your role in the company? He says, I'm the chief marketing officer. <laughs> and yeah. uh, but uh, he everyone in the whole company is super geeky and they are focused on building a great product. And they are. And that's why they're making awesome progress. And now one one of the world's leaders in fully autonomous semi trucks, and it's it's happening uh, in a very real way, and um, and that speaks to this um, the early paragraph in this very dystopian novel that we may find ourselves into. The story is still being written, so it's it's curious to see how how the the, the last chapter of the book will end up, but. Um, Ironride is fantastic, and I applaud their uh, progress, and they're the nicest folks ever. In fact, they brought their very first vehicle to my annual, my big annual festival for everyone. To, it was the first time people got to see one up close in person, and it's gorgeous, by the way. Just the design is unbelievable. Uh, and I'm, I'm stoked for my friends at EQT who continue to bat support the, the fundraising efforts. And, um, yeah, they, thank you for that, uh, Daniel. And, uh, yeah, have we'll a, follow ha that along. 
happens yeah. to be family of mine as well, so the founder. So yeah, know, we'll definitely have an ear on it. Yes, lovely. Right. Y'all have a good day. I gotta go to my meeting. Go do Thanks. it and have a wonderful spring day there in Stockholm. Or you're down in Malmo, aren't sure, you? I will. Yeah. No, no, I'm in Stockholm. Oh, okay. Yep. Enjoy the sun. Thank you. Yeah. Bye, Daniel. Yeah. Bye. Um, so the moving on, I want to pause to see if there's any other headlines. We got a lot of smart folks on stage as usual. Mabana and Malcolm, I've, welcome I've back. I've got a bunch of them. Oh, I'm, no doubt you do, Akil. You're, you're the <laughs> <laughs> Mendy. Welcome back, Mendy. We we touched on something yesterday, and you weren't on stage at the time. And I'm wondering if you have a, a thought on this um, about um, the the greenness of Bitcoin. And somebody brought up the point, uh, I believe it was David, who also happens to know a thing or two about this issue, that um, due to the processors that you know are specifically being used for a lot of the Bitcoin mining, that the processors are getting more and more efficient. And that's what you do, actually, right, at, at uh, NVIDIA. And you guys had a big flagship event a, a week or two ago where you revealed more um, energy efficient um, processors for uh, crypto mining, if I remember correctly, is am I am I correct, or please do correct me if I'm wrong? Yeah, I do think that we have a special dedicated um, kind of GPUs for kind of crypto mining, and it's not the same. It cannot be used for other purposes. Like so, it's like very exclusive. Yep. So, is this going to have a material impact on the greening of you know crypto mining as an industry? You know, as Nvidia continues to make more energy efficient chips. Yeah, I'm sure definitely like uh, sustainability is like one of the things that NVIDIA follows. Like, I, I believe there was a document document that says like all the, you know, like sustainability efforts that we are like, you know, like advocating. So definitely this is one of the areas. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. It'll be interesting to try and get some kind of data or measure around, you know, NVIDIA specifically could play a sub- significant role in reducing the amount of energy needed per crypto transaction and whatnot. That would be super interesting. Um, and I know Ben it was in 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 MA and and Dan and a lot of people on stage are very interested in in in, in a report about that. I I think that could be a huge PR opportunity for NVIDIA if they haven't done that already um, about how how they're taking and helping on that front. Um, yeah, but specifically, uh, Tyler, in the case of Bitcoin, the number of transactions doesn't really change the energy consumption. The transaction rate is fixed. And even if you put more powerful processes in, the system will just adjust and make the difficulty of mining harder. So um, it's important to look at the details of how and it's important it does it that way, because that's what gives the whole thing its hardness. There's a real subtlety here with the whole game theory around it. And if you want a sound hard money, you have to pay the price in something. And if we could find something better than energy, great. I don't see it at the moment. So it's a little nuanced. It, it needs looking into in some detail. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah. I, I, I'll, uh, man, I'm, you're really teasing a thought out of me. Is What if we could get the cost of energy down to zero, like if nuclear fission happens tomorrow or we find the world's biggest um, free energy source, like the Tesseract's cube from X-Men or something, uh, would that then have an influence on the perceived price of Bitcoin if there isn't a really a cost of energy anymore? It's a, there's an interesting dot connection there that, to your point, Ben, I think a lot of people are not so conscious of, uh, but it's an, it is a very interesting point. Um, so, Akil, what, what do you got by, to share? By the way, can I, on, on that point, by the way, uh-huh. there was a, heard something today that there was a bid for solar energy in Saudi Arabia, and the bid came in at, one cent a kilowatt hour 
which is a world record yep. and amazingly cheap. So yeah. you know, for Bitcoin, when, when there's lots and lots of renewable energy and it's being curtailed, that's a great use for it. But uh, until then, <laughs> yeah. anyway, thought that throw that in. Thanks. Yeah. So um, Palantir to take uh, Bitcoin as payment, Mal's betting on cryptocurrencies. They they gave out a statement. Say, um, say that again, Nikhil. Palantir. Um, Palantir. Yeah, to take Bitcoin as payment. Okay. Mal's betting on cryptocurrencies. That's the headline. <clears throat> they they announced this and their shares went up by 7% on Tuesday. So Palantir is going to be accepting Bitcoins as, as payment for their services. Interesting. Uh, that's one. Yeah. And the other one is Apple's Find My Network could be exploited to send text messages to nearby devices security researcher finds. Okay. Um. Thank you for that. I, I may, I'm, you sent one around Dogecoin and Elon Musk, and now I'm seeing Gareth send one yeah. about Elon Musk claims he is working with Doge devs on potential improvements. This sounds too crazy to be true. Actually, Tyler, it's super wild because <clears throat> I think our friend is down in the audience listening because I spoke a bit in the Namibia house this morning on some deep down rabbit hole tactics about Elon Musk, who he is, what it's like to be someone who has, I've worked with people when I was younger, I volunteered with many people that have Asperger's and autism and how brilliant they could be and how they could also be very misunderstood by your normal, uh, normal folks out there that don't have it or have not been clinically diagnosed. And the Doge project, the Doge coin is an interesting deep rabbit hole to go to, but I'll, I'll keep it as high level as I can. But I have some things for the audience because I'm actually looking at the unconventional route of research to see where everything's going. And I think I tweeted some things last night, Tyler, that I tweeted a picture of a screen that I was reading. Yeah. And one of the things that you're seeing is that uh, Elon, they are very much diving in deep with, a, with NASA and astronauts and scientists to really, he really wants to get people to Mars. He really does. Yeah. And that passion he has for that. People make, make fun of it, but it was Steve, the late Steve Jobs that said, it's the crazy ones that make things happen. And people may perceive him as crazy or wild or eccentric or an asshole or whatever they want to perceive him. But his, his unique gift is that he's a tremendously good strategist and he's seeing how to interconnectedly connect this to spacex use dogecoin as a form of currency but it's not for the u.s he's actually you looking at making that those machines be able to function in interplanetary areas and i could send you some really heavy crazy technical stuff that i don't even understand on the machines that they're using and it's really crazy and out there but it's being substantiated by some things that, that i found yesterday on how he's connecting the dots to people that have worked with nasa and there's about a team of 12 people and i took all these screen grabs for you and I'm going to do a little Twitter thread because I just want people to recognize that the critical thinking here is that we need to look beyond what's actually happening. He is wanting to bring people to Mars and he's going to do everything in his goddamn power to get people there. Yes. And of course he may, he may run people over, you know, he may steamroll people. Of yep. course he may act like an asshole, of course, but that was also Steve Jobs. 
Steve Jobs was also not the nicest person. I have people that know him personally, but with all due respect, still there was a reason for his 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 way of being. But the long and short of it is, is I think Elon's bigger bigger project and strategy has nothing to do with Bitcoin at the level that people may think it is. I think one of the things that's super fascinating is if you drive down this rabbit hole, which I mentioned this morning, and I probably threw some heads into a, a tailspin like Linda Blair and Exorcist. The reality is, is could this man possibly be Satoshi Nakamoto because of the fact that he was connected to PayPal? He did understand digital currency. He, we don't know where those 1.1 million Bitcoins are from the Genesis blocks that are lost. But if you could imagine, he's sitting there now and saying, I want to use Dogecoin. And he's flipping the script on everything. But if you follow all of the content that I have found, and I'll put some links in a Twitter thread about the people that are working on the interplanetary space project called SpaceX and what they're doing with these technological machines, where in fact, I believe his goal is to bring Doge to Mars. And it sounds super fucking crazy and out there, but this is what I think he wants that to be, like an interplanetary currency. And the only way for him to do that is to be able to make it affordable, make it something that's that's got a utility. And the unique thing about all tokens in DeFi, they don't all have to show up with the utility right away. They can have a utility built in after the fact if the project takes off. And that's what you're seeing with Dogecoin. And that's why I tweeted Coinbase just made the price go up because Coinbase just listed Dogecoin. So now it's really super crazy. But for my regulators in the audience, which I know you love talking about this, check out the other tweet I said that a company just came out that's focusing on regulation of crypto. And it's just been tweeted. So check that out as well. Uh, I just want to point something out here. Uh, Elon Musk doesn't actually have Asperger's. It was supposed to be a joke written by Jason Calacanis and, and then became a headline. Uh, but it's just a joke, guys. Oh, I can get to the bottom of that for you. Akil, but that's really odd, Akil, because he said it on a stage of millions of people that yeah, he has you, it. Why would he joke about the, that? Yeah, if you listen to the All In podcast that Jason does uh, every week, uh, in the latest episode, he did say that he wrote the joke and it was it was meant to be a joke. And it, it just blew up. But it's also very interesting because with all due respect, my sister works is an occupational therapist and works with autistic people. That would be the most rudest thing that he could do is make a joke about Asperger's. So I, I'll tell you this, though. Really? His, yeah, I'm hard pressed to. He, his, uh, his, some of his kids have it. <laughs> um, and Jason's my very dearest friend and partner in life. So, and he, Jason did go. I've with, read his book, Angel. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm in his book, Angel. So I uh, noticed that. Tyler. <laughs> and um, I will get to the bottom of it for you. Uh, I, and knowing Thank a you, lot, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, it's. Uh, we have to be sensitive to the whole, all, all of this, yeah. But um, um, Jason wouldn't take credit for something like uh, writing a joke if he didn't. I'll tell you that much. Um, so if Jason, the important thing is, I don't think Elon Musk even, even even care about what people think of him. He doesn't need uh, anybody to show him any. Um, no, I'll, 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 like I said, well, there's always more new, deep, nuanced backstories yeah. that are hard to get out in a tweet, and you know, you need the whole. I'll even bring Jason in yeah. here to tell the story himself, uh, as he yes. used, as he used to do. He says he deleted this Clubhouse app, by the way. And by the way, if you look yeah. in my bio, he's the one who brought me into Clubhouse. So it's. Um, I, I think he's not impressed with the content, right? Um, no, it's more than that. Um, 
there's all again more nuance than can be communicated in a very I, I miss way. him I miss him already yeah but he he and I had I a lot of fun I used to listen to his rooms <laughs> yeah yeah we yeah. he and I used to shake out the you know the JT foxes <laughs> and, and all of those like, yeah Tyler that's exactly what I miss because yeah. he that's was one of the things when I was on stage with him he was like totally talking about that I was actually acknowledging him for the book Angel which was fantastically written and he's actually from Brooklyn isn't he yeah Bay Ridge yeah where he yeah, was just a couple of days that's ago. Where I, that was our, that's where I grew up. Yeah, he, Tyler, when you first started this room, he he popped in almost every day. Yeah, like, well, he was the first person. Or popped in. Yeah. Well, I'll t- I'll, here, you want? I'll drop. Are... I'll drop a bomb for you guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Jason and I have done most of the key things. Like the this week in startups, we started together at his house, and uh, and I produced and co-hosted the first 300 episodes and came back for the 1000th episode and I'll come back for the 2000th episode. But, um, and then we did the, the TechCrunch 50 conference and the launch festival together and then started the whole launch brand out of that actually. Um, and then, but more recently around this and tech news around the world, he was watching and then he says, you know, let's do it 50, 50. And this is an open possibility an open option that could can be pursued at any time he says let's co-develop tech news around the world he says it's brilliant he's a huge fan but let's let's take it you know 10x and get you know uh kind of bring in a lot of his friends into the mix and make it go big and make it like an official news source to compete with the the bigger news sources because you know, he and Chamath and David Sachs and all of his friends who appear on the All In podcast. Besties, besties. All the besties and the, the bestie network, which is much bigger than even appears on the podcast, are often interviewed on CNBC and the other headlines. Well, what if we came in here and, you know, really went through the headlines with Chamath and Sachs and everybody on a more consistent basis? And because he has uh, four now This Week in Startups, and the All In Podcast is now like the number one of the top three podcasts in all of podcasting. And This Week in Startups is one of the top tech podcasts in all of podcasts. And he's got a backlog of uh, sponsors for his podcast. He needs more content and he doesn't he can't make enough podcasts because the sponsors still want there's still he's turning down sponsorships on a weekly basis. So he says, listen, if we put all the sponsors into tech news around the world and made it a podcast, Here's what the numbers would look like. And we went through the numbers and the numbers would uh, freak out everybody in all of Clubhouse uh, overnight. It would be a headline news, you know, in TechCrunch tomorrow if we did this. Um, so that's an open door that we could pursue any time. Please. Yeah. That would be so cool. I'm right with the keel. Let's do this. That'd be super <laughs> awesome. <laughs> we'll see. It might could happen. Could happen soon, in fact. So we'll see. Um but moving on with headlines, thank you for that interesting color on the uh, Doge. We always have to keep it alive in yeah. this room. It's well, getting a bit like dry. So even really I, I, I just retweeted Gareth's uh, article from Forbes about Elon Musk working with Doge developers on potential improvements. And uh, there it is, folks. You can see it in the Tech News Around the World Twitter account if you wanted to do a deep dive on that. Other folks continue to share all of the coolest um, tech news Articles from around the web, and here's one from our friend Monica in India. Um, TikTok to launch job recruitment platform for Gen Zs rather yes. than the traditional written CVs 
users will use TikTok video resume to apply. And uh, yesterday I shared a hilarious video that somebody found uh, of a Gen Z doing one of these video resumes. It's truly hysterically funny. Um, but that is, here's the interesting aspect of that is the Gen Z development and the TikTok phenomena, which by the way, another headline that I'll, I haven't seen yet, but I know exists out there. Instagram today announced, uh, launched uh, in my app on my phone, their new Instagram, uh, TikTok competitor, which they're calling Instagram reels. And so now, as the Facebook empire is known to do, if somebody's gaining market share uh, in the consumer um, uh, 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 social media space, you know, they just take take it and adopt it and absorb it into the Borg. And so you've now got Instagram reels. So people and they even show how people how to use it. It's just dancing people with all kinds of fun additions just like TikTok. So now you can create TikTok-like experiences inside of Instagram, and you better bet it will be coming to Facebook itself very soon. And it uh, might even be coming to Twitter. So that's just social media in 2021. But to back oh. to this headline that Monica shared, Mo is Monica on stage? If you want to, if she could share it herself, I'll do it for her. So I just tweeted it from the, the Tech News Around the World Twitter account. TikTok to launch job recruitment platform for Gen Zs. And essentially, this makes a lot of sense because employers want to employ Gen Zs and Gen Zs are not using Monster.com and all of the traditional browser-based job recruitment platforms. And there notably is not yet a huge, obvious brand or front runner in the job marketplace mobile apps. And for a long time, there wasn't a dating app either until Tinder came along because Match.com and the traditional dating websites couldn't figure out how to fit all their huge websites onto a phone, onto a smartphone. And it was my buddy, Sean Rad, who I should ping in and who pops in the audience from time to time. <clears throat> it took a while for someone to come at it from, with a fresh perspective and build uh, a mobile first dating app. And when Tinder did that, of course, it was wildly phenomena and um, be, it got acquired, you know, it was kind of a partnership from the get-go out of the incubator for IAC. So anyways, Tinder became the dominant dating app, phenomenally so. But the same thing essentially needs to happen for the, the recruitment marketplace. You need somebody to reimagine what does monster.com look like, but without any preconceived notions of what a, a mobile-first job recruitment platform should look like. And that's why you're saying, well, the kids are already on TikTok. They're already trying to show their best stuff on TikTok. And by the way, if we hire any of these millennials, we're probably going to look up their TikTok account anyways to see what kind of jackasses they're being on TikTok. So why not just um, let TikTok seize the opportunity for what it is and is going to uh, let these uh, their users, you know, make kind of TikTok style resumes or CVs? Tyler, yeah. I have a question for you related yeah. to that because it was it was a piece of news that came out maybe about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, mm -hmm. that the United States has started to remove the qualification of college right. from your CVs, but yeah. also there are some places that have actually removed the qualifications for like, you know, these, these uh, GPAs and stuff like that. And yep. thirdly which I think you're also probably thinking as I'm thinking along the same lines in my head is 
how, when will the CV go away? Because I feel like LinkedIn, someone's got to disrupt LinkedIn as well, because in some ways I think LinkedIn has replaced CVs, at least from, for mid-level managers yeah. and senior execs. For sure. So I'm quite curious, the, the strategic approach towards, obviously millennials is one, but then where does the same market replication happen to those that may be mid-level managers or executives? You know, you have executive talent firms, right? And the HR model, and HR recruiting totally needs to be disrupted because those services are sort of ambiguous because at the end of the day, the, you really have to understand the industry vertical before you could really dive deep into what you're looking for in the skill set. So I'm quite curious if that, if AI can play a role in this, because I was listening to, to Joel talk about the SAT and them trying to do away with uh, the SAT in the Nordic, uh, the Nordic Tech News launch yeah. hour. So my head is now collaboratively, strategically kind of connect the dots there because that's a really powerful use case because paper's wasteful, people don't reel it, read it, and the ATS is not allowed. The automatic scanning systems that they're using in a lot of Europe, they're actually getting some, some pushback on that. Uh, and the United States was trying to use it and I think they still use it, but they're noticing that the tracking system of scanning CVs isn't efficient and it's not really bringing quality candidates forward. So I'm quite interested how that whole space will play out. But to the point of the question is, what do you see that being in the places of those that are more experienced? How do you see it showing up there? Because I don't think that would necessarily be a video per se, but how do you see it being interpreted for the post? Because you know most of those people are going to have to apply for new roles and stay in the marketplace because millennials want to live in a coconut beach resort and be digital nomads. Yeah. It's it's going to be really interesting. I want. I mean, ultimately, Google has most of the data, right? And Facebook wants to have a lot of the data. Scary. Yeah. I mean, Google could put out a "Here's what we think is your resume." Uh, that that, but there, it's a it's a two sided thing because the 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 person, let's call it the job seeker, you know, is Google going to make the best resume for them to show the the job uh, hirer? Or are they going to make a tool for the job hirer to really see what the job seeker really is like? You know, those are two different things. Correct. And, uh, and Tyler, that's super fascinating. You just brought that up in this dialogue. Kai is kind of, I know he's, his head is filing it too. Because the beauty of this is that with us taking back power over our data, shouldn't we be the ones be allowed to choose what we want to do? And if a company, if we still leave it in a lazy way to a company to create a, a CV for us, what happens to those that may be like myself that are polymaths that you're going to check, you're going to create a CV that's like crap. You know what I'm saying? That I'm going to be like, I don't want to do that. But you see, it doesn't, where is it? Does it allow the person to grow their skills, especially for those people that have different perspectives of their brain working? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's think, let's do a weird thought experiment, a very Elon Musk style uh, and even Masayoshi son style and think 40 years into the future, and uh, where in, in some far off future, we don't know how far that it could get to a point where you are as a person, person A, have some skills and characteristics and personality quirks and 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 um, benefits and you know weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses. OK, great. And now there's a team over here on planet Z who there's a bunch of teams around the world who are working on all kinds of things, teams A through Z. And those teams have are made up of persons, and those persons 
collective traits and strengths and weaknesses and skills and lack of skills. And somehow, magically, again, way in the future, the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate solution is going to be somehow a Google-like, all-omnipresent, omni-god-like uh, uh, entity that knows every bit of uh, data about everybody is going to be able to say, ah, person A should join team Q because their uh, characteristics and their knowledge of what they know best, uh, in terms of a puzzle piece, they are the best puzzle piece for that puzzle because based on all of the data, all, which, which neither side knows. Person A doesn't know which of the t uh, team A through Z they should join, and nor does team A through Z know that act they should be hiring person A or B or C or D. And the algorithmically, ultimately, this is not something that even humans could sort out. This is kind of the thing that computers and data are much better at sorting out, ultimately. Uh, you just you just gave me um, the minute you started talking about that. The first thing that came to my head was Watson. I was like, the first thing that came to my head was Watson. I was like, IBM Watson, where you know it's going to be just a massive algorithmic process where it would also be the user as a as a DBA person. I would probably say garbage in, garbage out. So if the user is going to be in a space where they're not going to really share authentically and transparently and of integrity, then that may give an output that may not be accurate. So I think the user input there would be interesting, right? Yeah. Because it would require the user to be authentic, honest, and forthright to providing that information so that the output is Hold on. to There's match a, hold, the need. Hey, hold this up. There's a gentleman named Ryan White in the audience, and it says very clearly in his bio, he's the founder of Word of Mouth, the social utility app for trusted business referrals. Ryan, welcome. You get a free uh, startup pitch on stage for 30 seconds. Go. Okay, great. So um, I actually didn't want to talk about the startup right now. It's sure you didn't, Ryan. Sure you am. didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I love the programming. I'm, I'm loving the conversation that you're having right now. Um, uh, Amy, I really love where your brain is going. Um, I, I'm very diverse in terms of intellect as well. And I, in terms of your thought scenario right there, Tyler, I just wanted to say, what if such an, uh, a technology already existed uh -huh. and we're all playing out right now? Yeah. Uh -huh. That was a pretty good 30-second pitch there for you sure. Go. There you go. Uh, welcome, welcome to Tech News Around the World, Ryan. Um, stay on the stage as long as you like and join as often as, as you can. Kai, you wanted to jump in? Yeah, I want to jump in uh, when Amy said that sentence, which is basically fired me up. Uh -huh. And uh, which says, uh, when can we just get get rid of CV? I actually love it, Amy. And um, I give you an example. Um, so, are you giving have, me flowers, Kai? Are you I, giving I, me flowers? I, I'm giving you. I'm, I'm giving you the the clubhouse flowers. Oh, thank you. And, and, and beer. But it's it's a, it's a fantastic. <laughs> it's a fantastic idea. But the, for example, but I recently. Well, I have my company has an office in Shanghai. Uh, which I have to manage, and uh, I, I need to open an office in Beijing, and also need to open an office in Hong Kong uh, shortly. And then uh, my CEO just uh, just told me that Kai, you, he forwarded me several emails that um, uh, big big mega investors have sent to him. Basically, these investors uh, refer to headhunting companies in um, in um, in uh, who has office both in <clears throat> in Beijing and Hong Kong uh, to actually talk to me. And instantly, I said to my CEO, I said, look. Um, Vasily, uh, last year, 2020, I couldn't travel to China. 
But I use this chance. To, I, I talked with the CEO of more than 1,000 um, education technology companies in China. And because we are a market leader in science education content in the world. So I talked with all the top companies um, more than once. And of course, I'm very good with, with, with small chat. So I, I know a lot of like a, like a backstory of all these edtech companies in, in China. And in fact, well beyond China. And I, told, I, I explained to, to my CEO, I said, look, number one, I don't trust um, some headcount companies charging us a whole lot of money and then uh, quote unquote do, to do the, the search effectively to find the type of people uh, we need uh, because we face really, really complicated challenge. But instead, when I talk to all these people, utilize the, the tools like LinkedIn and then compare notes with other people, exactly as Amy said, um, you, the real voice give you the information of other people. And unfortunately, the IBM Watsons of its kind are still, I don't think they're anywhere near the point to be able to tell how authentic people are, in, in the, especially when you actually compare notes. And, um, and then the kind of like the, the track record of people moving through their career and the reason why they joined one company um, from another who was uh, who, who who was a competitor um, is it, something that I still believe that is well beyond um, the the kind of realm of I, AI or competition because of the very reason that uh, there is no input of this kind. It's very complicated. So um, I actually think that uh, number one, these days, if anybody asks to to see CV, which is how headhunters work, it's just so last century. And I think I really do feel passionate about the fact that uh, the, the best feature of LinkedIn is other people's um, kind of comments. References, the yeah, references. Exactly. The references and the reference history. And then the fact that the, the people who reference somebody, if you are active in industry, you know. Because in, in senior management, we don't need to manage 20 people. We don't, need to manage, we don't need to manage 50 people. All I need to do is manage three at most. So I just need to find that three people. And for these three people, I really feel, I mean, I totally agree with you, CV is absolutely useless. It's really, it's referral, plus bit of LinkedIn, plus bit of real life chat. And in fact, how they appear on Clubhouse is great because I organize like an education conference globally, right? I mean, I, I, I'll go in and go in and talk in hundreds of rooms under the realm of education. So I think, the, the whole recruitment process, in fact, if not the company process, needs to go into this century. I mean, we're not even talking about next century. And I think CV is just gone, really. I mean, I, I, I just want to Kai, I, I, don't, I love it. I don't, I, I don't use CVs anymore for startups See? that I, Fantastic. I help uh, Fantastic. number one. Well, most don't people use don't use, actually. Here's, here's, here's what I do use, though, right? I watch people's behavior, right? And, the, and, the, and the, what's interesting is... Uh, behavior reveals itself, right? So obviously, and obviously LinkedIn gives you a first cut, but behavior reveals itself under pressure, right? So here's interesting. What are the tools we have to watch people under pressure, right? Um, obviously mm. what people do is, what, what mm. people do is they give them an internship or they give, you know, all those kind of things, but they're expensive ways to, to find out what people are really like, right? Um, because, you know, you, have, you, you can't give somebody a one-week internship or one-week project. So quite often I give them a problem that puts them under pressure in some form, right? Um, and, and that's whether, whether I'm going to invest in them or whether I'm just helping somebody, you know, get into a, a senior role in a large company. Or one of the things I do is private equity firms. I, I work with two big private equity firms in the UK where, where they're putting deals together for, for large, you know, 
uh, deals for retailers, etc. And, and and they kind of confidentially asked me to figure out who you know who they should put on that team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But one of the things I I, I I talk to them about is, and I and I just do that with no, I'm, I'm not a recruitment guy. I don't make money out of it. That's not my game. Um, but I just I, I kind of do that. And what's interesting is how people behave under pressure. And guess what? One of the most powerful tools I'm seeing, it's kind of a small thing, is watching Clubhouse and how people deal with pressure and how they deal with what triggers them, what doesn't trigger them. And it reveals them one by one. The, the onion just get revealed. And what's interesting is if there was a tool like that uh, it, and, and you watch them, you know, the, the, and, uh, and it just happens and people watch me, people watch you, people watch. And so that's going to be an interesting way to do that, uh, uh, you know, these tools as they emerge. Now, Twitter, you can do that, how people do that, but tw- people can re- have revisionist history on, on Twitter. They can delete tweets. They can, so you look back and you go, what did they care about? Um, you don't see it all in truth, right? And some people have a persona on Twitter that, that you, know, you can't get through to figure out what they really care about because they're not that honest about it. But under pressure, people reveal themselves on this platform or other. So it's, it's also dangerous for them, right? And Cal, I, and I, yes, they, totally. They a couple of people coaching on that. Cal, you, I just need to send you tons of flowers because you totally nailed it. And I think the part of it, and um, Ryan, I know you know this quote, I'm because I'm going to probably I may not remember it, but I think it was Martin Luther King that said or someone had said that you judge a man by uh, under not under good times, but in the bad times, because what usually happens is, is when someone goes under stretch, they show you who they really are in their character. And if there's someone that will throw their mother under the bus or not. And I think that's something that's super fascinating, because for the most part, that's why I don't want I don't agree with the CV anymore. It's so last century. And references and character references are super, super important because at the end of the day, people know how to play chameleon really, really well. And some know the art of the game better than others. And some people are just in it, like, they're just naive. Like some people, personally like myself, I have childlike faith in a lot of people. And sometimes that burns me. But the reality is, is that I, I fine tune my intuition to identify character traits that are there that are clear to me because I work in change management, as you know cal i've worked in these transformation projects and this is something that i look for and with ryan with word of mouth the unique thing of about the title of his company is that word of mouth at word of mouth will get you further than your cv or anything else because word of mouth is that you don't go looking for the job the job comes looking for you and in clubhouse this is a wonderful social experiment because it's also allowing people to sort of be pushed to their limits and how they react and how they address others those are things that you cannot hide and those are things that are in essence the depth of a person's you know, as Greg Duffy would say, the essence of their mental prison that they might be in for themselves. But at the end of the day, when you give someone respect, you will get respect. But I always believe in what the Dalai Lama said in Zurich in 2010. We are all mirrors. So if something is triggering us, if something's challenging us, go introspection first and see what it is that it triggered. Dive deep into that space, do the personal development, do the professional development, then come back and maybe ask those questions, those probing questions of how can I be a better professional? How could I be a better sister, a better a better auntie, a better colleague, a better friend? And then you will start to see that it all boils down to human connections and respect and compassion. I, I have a very uh, different view on these things. 
I think when if you're talking about a 40 to 50 year timeline, I don't think a lot of human beings are going to be running organizations. I think it's going to be a lot of algorithmic driven, mainly HR, finance and all these other things. And I think the way the future 50 years down the lane is going to be designed when quantum computing is ubiquitous is we're going to have a master algorithm for an organization picking out much smaller slave algorithms to, to do a job. And the guys who build these slave algorithms are going to be making money because their algorithms are getting the job done. Now, coming to the data part of things, right now we're looking at CVs and if you look at LinkedIn, something interesting is happening where people are adding their certificates and what they have learned and when they have learned, which is a second set of data. So it's not just their experience, but their learning journey also, which is being added onto LinkedIn, right? So I think we're going to have other sets of data coming into the future, you know, 50 years down the lane where we're talking about genomics and DNA sequencing and a bunch of other things which can be fed into an algorithm to, to define if that small percentage of human beings that are working, you know, what their um, career journey is going to look like, you know, who, who are they as a person based on their DNA and their learning journey and a bunch of other things. So I, I don't think, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to remember CVs in 50 years. I think most of them are going to be run by algorithms. Guys who build algorithms will make money. Guys who have great DNA and a great learning journey and will have a great career journey and that's kind of my two cents on it. Okay, well, just one comment. Uh, I think importantly, like what Carl say, it's not what you say, it's what you do when you're under stress. Well, Cam, words can have, uh, I, I mean, one of my favorite tests is any new relationship that I ever had, uh, I would uh, try to go to on vacation uh, somewhere because when you get out of your comfort zones and you have oh. to cre- uh, cre- find <laughs> ways to create problems, and see how people not only problem solve, but also uh, when, if the problem becomes a conflict, how they do conflict resolution. And you, I want to, uh, most people sometimes, unfortunately, get many years into a relationship before they find out how good their partner is at conflict resolution or problem solving uh, because they're just, you know, sitting at home watching Netflix. Yeah. And the only big problem yeah, t- they have is which TV show to watch. Mabona? Yeah, Tyler, that's one of my secret weapons. I, I take uh, potential hires on Safari. And if you can't laugh, that's amazing. You get to, you're out. And then I have a story <laughs> of one like former investment banker, a Reuters, uh, you know, alum, etc., who came on Safari on one of our, one of our retreats, a potential hire. And uh, we were kind of not lost, but um, I was trying to get us safely to the lodge. And you know, rule number one in Africa, particularly driving at night, is don't drive at night if you can't avoid it. So I parked beside a hotel petrol station, and the guy was freaking out, like. You know, hey, why aren't we at the lodge yet? Why isn't the lodge coming to get us? And like, hey, just chill out. You're safe and sound, you know, in, in the gas station. Chill out. But I knew, like, at that point that he was not the one someone to hire because he was just, you know, in, particularly in the African context, right? So it depends yeah. what context you're in. But yeah. you have patience and being able to handle yeah. stress in that situation. And it happens all the time in Africa. You can't survive here yeah. if, you, if, you, if you're, like, you know, lose it. I'll, I can I can tell you I can yeah. tell you the exact moment that Jason and I uh, connected was uh, I came home for Christmas and he says come over to my house for uh, you know uh, coffee Turkey? in the for lunch basically <laughs> and um, we had we had been talking online for a while and he was kind of we were mutual fans of each other online and I was coming home to L.A. for Christmas and he says yeah come over for lunch I said yeah when do you want to meet he says Friday I said what time he says. 4 p.m. And if you are from L.A., uh, if you've ever lived in L.A., you know Friday 4 p.m. is the worst traffic on the planet. 
<laughs> especially where he lived at the corner of the 405 and the 10. That is oh my God. ground zero <laughs> for the horrendous. worst. You, you're not moving. That's a parking lot for hours. For right. four hours. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, I know what this asshole's doing. He's trying to test me to see if I'm going to be late <laughs> for his life. I know what any, I know I've lived in LA long. I was born in LA. I know what you're doing, jerk. You're trying to see if I'm going to be stuck <laughs> in this traffic for four hours. So I intend Whether you are going to get a Japanese and be earlier. Right? Yeah. So I left fo literally four hours early to go work at a Starbucks near his house so that I could walk over to his house at 10 minutes early and be like, oh, what traffic? So <laughs> I get in the car. Watch, watch what happens. So I get in the car. I leave four hours early and there's a, a, a crane had fallen over the 405 freeway. No, tra and wow, so, so you were not even able to get through that. I, I wasn't even able to get off the freeway because there's wow. now. A, Did you take a picture of the crane? Yeah, I, I took photos of everything and I call him. I'm like, hey, you know, there's a crane down. He's like, yeah, I'm watching it right now on the news. Uh, there's a helicopter above you, like covering the whole scene. I said, yeah, well, we'll see how this turns out, you know, because I realized we're supposed to meet in about two hours from now. But this, you know, the 405 is a parking lot because of the crane fell over the freeway. He's like, yeah, no problem. Obviously, nothing you can do about it. So I had already told myself there's no way in hell I'm going to be late for this meeting. So as one, you know, I'm, I, I calculated out how long it would take me to run to his house. He's about three kilometers away. <laughs> That's going to take me about 40 minutes, you know. So with about 40 minutes left, I ditched my car on the side of the, of the 405 freeway and, <laughs> you know, and run to his house. And I, you know, show up at his house and he's got his dog in the front yard and he, I come around, walk around the corner. I was like, hey, Jason. And he's like, what the hell are you doing here? And I was like, yeah, well, I just walked here. He's like, what do you mean you just walked here? He says, where's your car? I said, it's on the freeway. Wow. Yeah. And he's like. Did he offer you a shower, oh, Tyler? No, no. He's like, well, I'm starting a search engine. Do you want to do it? You know? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, let's do this. And it was like, you know, some people, you know. It was that, love at first sight. Yeah. Like when, you know, if you're challenge is just a, a an opportunity you know it's excitement you know you you run through a brick wall if you have to and that's what he, something he and i share in common and a lot of the hey, you just yeah. yeah you just surface a problem so is uh, la people still tolerating for our traffic jam that's say, a huge problem well i didn't hear your question sorry i say is the la people still tolerating for our traffic jam everyone right but now? elon musk that's why he built a tunnel from you know under uh, yeah, under precisely. la yeah why, there are so many techies in California. You can't solve this problem. You no can. Way. You build a tunnel Sutter. for yourself. You you raise billions of dollars <laughs> and make a tunnel for yourself. Yeah. Hey, welcome back, Great. Dave. Sutter, this uh, this this is really interesting, right? Because it it's like you know, I only want to work with people who I want to hang about with, you know, and that, that's like my, you know. So I I'm just I'm just <laughs> I'm imagining this guy who sees you having seen the crane. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable yeah his, just, he looked like he, he was, yeah he thought he was seeing a ghost he's like he like did a double take like what the hell are you doing here where and he's like where's your car yeah there's there's there is your cv tutter yeah your CV that's my point says, yeah, yeah your cv's like um and by the way when problems come along yeah uh, i just i just kick them down i, I just love it man yeah it's, it's just it's cool. tyler it's also very interesting because knowing the context of la folks and new york city folks and him being from brooklyn yeah. and i'm i'm from new york city and i have friends in la as well and it's so fascinating tyler you're totally going to get this because 
He also was probably surprised because you know how they have the, con, you know, the sort of the little bit of the flaky L.A. folks that are like, oh, my God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sorry, I can't come. There's the thing on the freeway. And then they don't just show up. Yeah. And I think you shocked him because, as Dave said, that's your CV. That was your that was your jam. You know, you're like, no, I'm going to get there. I'm going to create a possibility to get there. And well, I'm going to do it by running. I did. I, and he saw that. Yeah, I dropped one little thing when he says, uh, where's your car? I said, well, yeah, it's on the it's over there near the crane. And uh, he goes, wow, so how'd you get here? I said, yeah, well, I walked here. Uh, and I go, I'm not late, am I? Because I don't like being late for meetings. Anyway. My drop. Yeah, back to the headlines. Um, uh, Magna just shared a... Sorry? Sorry, uh, can I keep the comment about what Amy said? Yeah. Um, from people... I've been really promoting uh, Clubhouse for many Japanese people, especially English-speaking people, because in, like this room, people are so welcoming newcomers to jump into the conversation and so on. So, very domarigato. Domarigato gozaimasu too. And um, this is really a big challenge for Japanese people as well, because we are too shy and very naive and they, we don't want to make mistakes even speaking in English. Right. But nevertheless, because you you guys are very welcoming, up, including me, you welcome me anyway. Yeah. So it was really comfortable for well, me to, to talk. Yeah. Tomoko, and, I, I have to share something with you because the part of my, the, one of the biggest lessons I learned in my life was that I went to Tokyo when I was right after high school, when I was 19, and I didn't speak Japanese, and I, I only knew one person, and he brought me there and introduced me to all of his friends and made, made me feel incredibly welcome there. And I felt more welcome there than I did in, you know, California, where I was born and raised. And, you know, that's when I realized that the, the world's a very beautiful place. And so, yep, I can know. feel you love Japan a lot. Yeah, back. but that that's a lot of what this room is about is from <clears throat> that first experience that I had in Japan, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry, can I uh, continue a bit? Of course. Yes, Tomoko. Um, also, it's important us to speak up anyway. Otherwise, people will know who we are, what we think, why we think like that, and yes. so on. So yes. I really try and push Japanese people, Japanese, only Japanese-speaking people as well as the English-speaking Japanese to speak up, join the club, house or club in a room where people talk, having the good conversation, good discussion. Yeah. It's very important for us yeah. to be more international. I agree. Yeah, you are a that... very good example, Tomoko-san. Yeah. Tomoko, thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to share something really interesting with you as well, because I, you're, I see that you're, you have a marketing piece as well. I bounce around in NFT rooms, and I myself have gone into some Japanese rooms and Korean rooms. And it's beautiful to hear artists communicating about their artwork in their language, and then also someone translating it, but also them learning certain sentences in the context of that hour to say something in English and to just be the joy that I hear in their voices is just such a beautiful thing because they've broken out, they're broken out, they're sharing, but they're also now bringing up the English, they're bringing up the language and they're also teaching us 
phrase is, I used to work for Mitsukoshi in New York City uh, as a bartender in a Japanese restaurant. And they taught me a bit of Japanese, but I learned so much about the culture through that experience of working for Mitsukoshi. And I really just, I humbly love the Japanese culture so much. And I one day hope to get there to visit. So thank you for speaking up and sharing. Yeah. Well, we are always welcome you, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. J Japan's a very special place, to, but you're right. They do need, they, they, they could benefit a lot by being, exposing themselves to more international areas. Yeah. It's a little bit tight, a little bit, uh, exclusive or inclusive a little right they they could uh open up more to more international experiences and, and things and quite misunderstood yeah to exactly to tomoko's point yeah and uh, and i and yeah. i like the courage that she's displaying yeah, just, exactly uh, wanting to change that because yeah. i i mm -hmm. do think that from um just an international business perspective um you know, having having worked in Asia and other places, specifically the Japanese are misunderstood, and yeah. they are just such an amazing uh, set of people. And yep. as 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 you said, but you, you're right; it's just an ability to get on platforms and uh, yeah. and people people just uh, letting letting that happen. Yeah, they're shy, like she said. It's because uh, they're quite shy and don't want to make mistakes, and you know, very polite. And that perfectionist that, that's not easy, and and they want to do everything perfect, and it's hard to do that in clubhouse. <laughs> So uh, anyway, there, um, there's a. Anyway, thank so, you very much. It's, it was Friday. This is a Friday, so I so I decided to say that kind of things. Yeah. Yeah, and Tomoko, you can encourage more uh, Japanese to come and join us. Yep. Everyone is welcome. I will try. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, uh, I, can I give a chime yeah. in? On Go this ahead, point, please. Because I, I had a extremely extremely enjoyable experience and a rewarding experience with a Japanese uh, club called Two Thousand Thirty. Uh -huh. And uh, it's a fantastic club, active on Clubhouse, and they have a regular discussion on what the world will look like in 2030. And um, and th that room, they have um, uh, they have a lot of translation help, and so that everybody can engage in very rewarding and uh, active discussion. It's actually one of the uh, most enjoyable experiences I had on Clubhouse. So kudos to um, uh, to Japan and also the the active uh, community of Japanese. On Clubhouse, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Kai. So there's um, uh, one other point is, I mean, technologically speaking, I wonder how how many years away we are where you could have people all speaking their native languages with rather accurate real time live trend, you know, translation happening. That could be um, seven I'm, years. Yeah, in our in our own lifetime for sure. So that could be super interesting. Um, I want to jump into some headlines because uh, there's some so many really good ones being shared by everyone here on the Twitter account. Magda just shared a really awesome one. Pinterest to test live streamed events this month, and they're starting with 21 of the of pin maybe their favorite creators, kind of similar to what I guess uh, Clubhouse did recently, where they're they've selected 60 that they're going to narrow down to 20 to highlight, uh, and they want to push out. Um, uh, promote creators as content creators on Pinterest doing live um, creating a morning routine you will love is uh, one of the examples they give and um, uh, some of the other ones are three meals with 10 ingredients and making the easiest most perfect summer salad and uh, uh, they really want to encourage it. it almost starts to compete with a combination of TikTok and YouTube essentially and that's because um, they understand that this uh, content uh, economy 
and uh, SOCOM or social commerce ecosystems that are developing um, between TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, etc. They all need to start doing everything. They need to have a clubhouse like experience. They need to have a TikTok like experience. They need to have all this because the advertisers want to get into that and they want to do omni channel, meaning every they just want every uh, product and service out there wants reach and they don't care really if it's uh you know video or a clubhouse room or links or whatever it is they're trying to drive traffic to whatever it is they're trying to sell whatever product and service they're trying to promote and so pinterest as a platform is great but it's not really about the creator it's about the items that you know that the creator is showing and they need to change that and quickly if they're going to maintain uh, a, a, a horse in this race for the future of, you know, um, in the future of uh, social commerce. So it's no surprise that they're now showcasing and spotlighting the creators on Pinterest rather than, you know, their pin boards, uh, which is not really about them as creators. So um, uh, not uh, interesting to see them evolve and, and keep a foot in this race. Uh, so thank you for that share. Very good share on Twitter, Magda. I just retweeted that. Thank you. And Cheryl, you're not going to like this one. Heyman uh, sharing a, an article for, on Twitter. I'm going to retweet it now. You can read it and uh, stay lock your doors. Uh, Singapore returning to lockdown mode for one month as COVID-19 case rises. Breaking news from Eric Fengelding. With 500,000 Twitter followers as an epidemiologist and health economist, health justice and policy senior fellow from Harvard and John Hopkins University, seems to know what he's talking about with regard to COVID in, in Singapore. Indoor dining suspended immediately. Travel bubble within Hong Kong now unlikely. 31% of Singaporeans have uh, one shot, 22% fully vaccinated, but yet there's still a surge happening in Singapore. Cheryl, what do you think of that? I like it. Our government is good and responsible. They're just okay. doing the right thing. Okay. Um, Chinese, thank you for that, uh, Heyman, uh, finding that really good tweet. It's, it is breaking news. Singapore's. He sent me too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Singapore's, uh, like Thailand, um, having, it's very strange. The, the countries that had been performing the best up until to very recently. Are now. I think it's because of the Indian variant. I, I agree. I completely yeah. think that's the case, and I've seen. But it's okay. We can manage. Don't worry. That I feel the same way as well. But um, I think in Thailand it's the UK variant. Um, yeah, that's correct. Seen, that's right. Yeah. If she, you've seen Tyler, but in places right. like in Jomtien, I know. That's right. Um, people were fined the equivalent of two hundred US dollars for having a drink with a friend outside of their condo. So, so the Thai government also is now trying to get back on track um, after ha after having lapsed in judgment and not postponing the Thai New Year holiday, which is when everything really started to surge about a month ago. Yeah, it, it's well known, that actually, that it is the UK variant that has reached Thailand that's causing us additional headache because it's a much more um, contagious, you know, variant. So it's um, that's why we're having a harder time. How, how about the one in the, uh, the outbreak in the uh, Thai jail, Thai prison? Yeah, that's horrible. Three, three I want to say, yeah, yeah. So, um, is that under managed already, under control? Yeah, they say that's the they report that it is. I mean, Thailand takes COVID very, very seriously when, um, when 
to the best that they have with their resources. And thus far, they've done a great job. The question is, will their strategies work with a more, um, a more contagious, you know, variant like this UK variant? So we're we're finding that out right now. It seems like it's under control where I am, and it, it, there was a few cases of it, and it, now it seems to have been controlled. But uh, we'll, time will tell. We'll know in the next few days to come, and hopefully Singapore will 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 be have it under control very soon as well. Um, okay. I'll pause to see because uh, we've we've done a lot so far. Anyone on stage have something they want to share? Anyone in the audience, raise your hands because uh, we want to give everyone a chance to share headlines from. Um, every part of the world geographically and professionally as we are known to do here and i want to point out that there is a, a, a huge tech event coming in just four days uh the, what's called the it's google's biggest event of the year um happening may 18th it's called google io it's their annual developer summit where everyone who builds on the google platform joins together for a few days uh a bunch of keynote talks and Google historically reveals really groundbreaking glimpses of future technologies. It was the event where they revealed their duplex system where they had um, the Google Assistant not only could understand what you say to it, of course, but it could make phone calls on your behalf to book dinner reservations and hair appointments, etc., and that was years ago, and they it was so disturbing. That was uh, 2018, Tyler. Yeah, 2018. three years ago. Of course, that technology still exists. They know it exists. The problem is, is it scares people, uh, and there's, it's still op- in operation today. And it, when people receive a call from it, they don't know that it's not a human generally, and that concept in the press actually scares people. So Google is not p- pursuing that and pushing it to its full extent. And so they're now forced to think of other use cases, as I best understand what's happening. Uh, and there are Google folks in the audience, and I don't want to call them up to um, uh, and you know put them on the spot because th- this is kind of sensitive stuff. Uh, but I wanted to see if... Um, no, she's not in the audience at the moment. Okay. Anyway, um, other, other headlines anyone want to share on stage? I've got, hey, Tyler. Yes. yes. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Hey, um, I wanted to, uh, first I wanted to backtrack and just add some context to the previous discussion about um, impromptu team forming or, or talent uh, allocation for for yes. the, the future of work. And before, I, I, I'm looking forward to your what you want to share. I have to point out that Renjith uh, reminded me that in Stockholm, we had a company called Selfie Jobs. If you remember, Nicholas, and yeah, yeah. and selfie jobs was a really pioneered in this space of they were trying to make Tinder for jobs when Tinder was just starting out and becoming popular, and they thought, oh, that's cool for dating. Why don't we do that for jobs? And it, I think it was just ahead of its time. But go ahead, Nicholas. Yeah, I, I can actually dig up a, a newer startup that's approaching the same thing, also from Stockholm. But that was not my thing now. So uh, in 2014, I just retweeted two two TNA TW. There was some interesting research from Stanford that has gotten interesting follow-up since. And the topic is uh, flash organizations. And it's pretty much exactly what you were touching upon, that uh, there should be a master algorithm that can just, just in time, place the the right people, search the right people, and place the right people to accomplish micro-tasks that are auto-generated out of a big project. Mm. So look at that. Exactly. And, uh, 
there's some interesting research. I, I actually heard it from Robin Steigland here in Stockholm uh-huh. uh, at SSE. Yeah, interesting. But but the next thing was, uh, so yesterday, there was an update from that also touches up upon what you were talking about. Uh, someone talked about real-time translation. Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. Well, it's not seven years into the future. It's now. Yeah. In, in text so, or in audio? In audio, in VR. Ah. So there's actually several platforms. And yesterday, there was a big platform update from Spatial, one of the biggest meeting um, platforms in VR. So they're adding that. And uh, yeah, you can just... Uh, auto detect language and have an international conference and uh, you get spoken word back uh, or text back on spoken word uh, in real time. Yeah, because I think- What is it called? uh, So I I think there's a Microsoft API behind this. Um, So it's just getting public and a lot of platforms are actually uh, implementing it. I know that Altspace and a few others are also, but this platform is called Spatial. So you can go there on spatial.io, and it's a platform that you can access without uh, VR too. Yeah, and I am. Um, I imagine that they still need to go from voice to text, text to translate, and then translated text back to uh, speech. Yeah. But I'm wondering if we'll if we will get to the point where it's there. It does. It doesn't need to get to text. That will be truly groundbreaking and we might I mean, right. I mean, if it doesn't, I mean, if it doesn't go inst- to text then you it's instantaneous then you miss... anyway yeah so i just sorry sorry quick quick point that just if it doesn't go to text i think that's what i'm registering it doesn't you don't lose the nuance right well and uh, it's not even uh, so much that it's just it, 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 we might need quantum computers to get to that point but but that's uh, yeah. that's kind of not true actually you don't lose the nuance uh, if it doesn't go to text the nuance is still there if it goes to text because uh, the algorithms now understand meaning and then they translate the meaning back within, you know, within, kind of fancy within stuff. The text. yes it's so quite yeah it, it, it really is language specific though because there are many 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 phrases in in japanese for example that are very challenging to express outside even gambate just the word a very simple word to anyone who speaks <laughs> japanese there's 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 that is such a simple concept in japanese actually it's very yeah. uh I, I fundamental i just replied to a tweet who was asking what's the meaning so i actually sent him sent her some description of what you right means. we were cheryl and i were tw- uh, in the past hour talking with somebody on twitter about how to translate gambate into other uh, uh, in english or another in spanish and it's just it's incredibly difficult yet it's such a simple simple word in japanese and there's 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 hundreds of those examples that's what i mean is uh if you're in a conversation with somebody in a room and they're in japanese and they're speaking japanese and they say you know one of a hundred different words like gambate uh, i'll, what I'll the... take another example yeah. akil uh, yeah. how do you translate jugad in in, in india Give me a second. I'm in front of the computer. <laughs> He's going to look at. Sorry, <laughs> I, I have an even better. It's, okay. it's a similar word. Just, just for the reference of. Uh, it, it says makeshifter in English. Yeah. Uh, is it makeshifter? Yeah. But Nilomi will probably. But you know, listen, jugad is uh, is one of those words which is about which is similar to the Japanese word. I think uh, people in India would recognize. There's a there's a book called Jugad Innovation, right? That it's it's a it's a uh, that that uh, that uh, somebody that uh, I. Uh, uh, I uh, sponsored a documentary uh, in India when I was at Best Buy, which was about looking for really cool innovation ideas. And this lady, uh, Simone Ahuja, uh, who was a dentist in Minneapolis, wanted to do this project. And so we bet, bet on it. I think Leticia, Leticia, do you remember Simone? 
right? Absolutely, absolutely. You're involved yeah. in this, yeah. So we, uh, so she came back and she said, "There's only one word I can do in terms of describing what you want me to, or what, what I'm, what I'm seeing." And, it, and you know, it's a word in India that everyone understands. It's called jagat, and and there was no translation to it really because it was hustle. It was you know do and and, and you know there's just, just hack jugaad. stuff together to make it work. Yep. I mean, that's it. it. Could be that. It could be Jerry Rick in, be... in American English. Jerry Rig. I don't know if it's an official word, but yeah, but my, it's just my point was, but uh, I was just uh, trying to make their, their language is a tough thing. But Carl, one interesting I, thing is, I... um, loot is a Hindi word, but it got adopted into the English stuff, right? Because there's no literal translation to it. So that also could happen. Can, can I just make a point that, um, uh, let's not even need to go as far as uh, Indian language or Japanese language, just a simple English word. Yes. Sometimes yes means yeah. Sometimes yes means mm. sometimes yes means no. Oh. Sometimes yes means yippee. Oh. And like the two sides different variants. The, the Japanese I, I, are the best example of that, man. <laughs> like okay, yeah. I'm going to find something and put it on my profile picture soon uh, to let you understand how to use can in Singapore language, Singlish. Then you will you will see how, how, what kind of me, how many meaning you can have from one simple word. Okay, yeah. I'm going to find now. Yeah, but the, yes. Oh, no, I was just thinking, like, because there are more Android users joining from India nowadays, uh, a lot of people use Android. Have you considered of experimenting in local Indian languages and run some tech news prototype oh, yep. there? Y- yesterday, Mobana um, had the awesome, fantastic idea of, like, uh, broadcasting to Tanzania. And if, if that's where it would be amazing if we could get this language translation stuff to happen. Because there's a lady from um, uh, Sirius Satellite uh, XM Radio who's uh, we're chatting with about the possibility of doing something, and you know, who knows how how this could how this could evolve. But I wonder if YouTube um, is able to do translation in real time off of a live stream. I think very soon something like fifty fifty Tyler. Yeah. Yep. Not Tyler. Hayden and Lauren. PTR. PTR. Hain and Lormi, Tyler, I have a question for you yeah. that's related to this. Just that request that I think it was Nilormi that asked about it. I, I believe it's the Chingari persons that made the app of Fireside in that's India. Right, yeah. And I believe that that uh, I was chatting with Heyman uh, to run a parallel or a, another another space over there of the tech news around the world because they are on Android. It is functioning and it's functioning for a while now. And I actually went live on that platform as well. So it's super fascinating and I, Heyman's up for it. So I think it'd be kind of cool to sort yeah. of bleed over into the Indian yeah, they, So Amy, been, instead of Chingari, uh, you should check out this app called Leher. It's got a lot many users and a lot more activity going on, even though Fireside and Leher, you know, these guys don't have the UI UX down, but, um, you know, Leher has a lot more How do you spell that, Akhil? Could you just um, tweet it to me? Yeah, I'll tweet it to you. Yeah, super. I'll check it out. Thanks. There are like 268 million people who speak Bengali, which is, by the way, my mother tongue, and people in Bangladesh and India and I think there's a lot of opportunity in India for different variations of being able to share this this content because of the fact that there's different, I guess it would be dialects. Is that it, Nilarmi and Akhil? There would be different dialects in India? Yeah, so India is a country of 16,000 languages. Yeah, got it. Yeah, so um, on that point, I want to 
uh, get through. There's a few more interesting headlines we're going to jump into here. A Chinese podcasting company is IPOing in the U.S. Uh, as an indicator of how strong the future of podcasting is looking. Um, and thank you to everyone who's sharing this. I, I just wanted to retweet that one. Sorry. One. Thank you for that one, Share Sarah. And Poppy shared a, a really amazing video, one of the best videos I've seen yet of the futuristic Mercedes concept car, which gets often compared to the movie Avatar. Uh, like if it's even more futuristic than Avatar, this car, I highly encourage you to go to the Twitter account just to see the, the video of this thing. It's truly mind blowing. Um, there's now also uh, thank you, Simon, uh, for this article that there's now co strong concerns about rising COVID cases in South Africa. Um, so it's, it's interesting now that these, uh, the places again, that struggled with COVID are now getting it under control yet. The places who had it under control are now struggling. And I wonder if that means that the places that have it under control are just behind or, uh, <laughs> and that uh, actually when the vaccines wear off in six months, it's going to come back in a strong way again. Like it's happening now in Asia. It's a, it's a wild, uh, mind bending thought to have, um, uh, the, uh, there's an interactive chart showing changes uh, in the world's top 10 um, carbon emitters that I'm sure Dan will like. So I'm retweeting that. But thank you for Poppy. The top emitters uh, listed, uh, China and the EU and the U.S. contribute 41 percent of to total global emissions, while the bottom 100 companies, the bottom 100 countries only contribute 3 percent of global emissions. Uh, kind of a. Uh, something to think about and definitely the deep dive on that article i just retweeted and thank you to poppy for that and thank you monica also chiming in with the bloomberg article about singapore reporting a surge of cases a third wave essentially and um uh what else we got yeah well we can save um um the rest of these for the, when we gather next time now yeah, we're, we're 10 minutes that. over so we're meeting again in about seven hours uh and i hope that works for you and and bring a friend and if not join us this time again no not tomorrow it's happy friday everybody so we don't schedule saturday meetings although we have been doing them the past few weeks uh so it's not on the calendar but if we do do it it'll probably be in the other time zone um so hopefully that works for you guys. Yes. Yeah, so therefore, you have to uh, you have to kind of keep track of the club to do that, right? Ah, so that's sorry. Uh, Dave. A pitch for the club again. Uh, oh, Dave did uh, express his point. So okay, um, yes, and thank you to everybody. Can I ask a question? Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Quick, quick, quick question to the crowd. Someone will know how to do this. I'm doing a room on Monday with a professor that doesn't want to download the app, so I want to connect them on Zoom or a phone or anything like that. I'm sure there's a decent way to do it. I've seen it. Actually, I've Dan, do you have a second phone? Do you have I, a second have phone, a Dan? I have a landline I could connect a speaker jack to or something. Uh, no, I was going to say, do you have a second mobile or does someone in your I'll family have a second? No, no, I mean, phone. then you could just literally give him yours unless you're going to be. You could also use a second phone number. He does club deck. Do you know, he like make a second account? Ah, club he deck. For security reasons. Yep. For security oh, reasons. no, I, but I'm saying. Don, I'm asking that if you could use Club Deck, you could make a second phone number that he would be able to use, is what I'm saying. But that also might be a little bit complicated. I don't know how well you know this person. Well, he's also on the other side of the country, so he's not going to share it directly. I can look that. Yeah. No, and what type of computer? Are you Windows or, you Windows or Mac, then? 
Mac. Um, yep, you can do it on Mac with Club Deck and then a, 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 a sound routing program. Um, I can send you DM me or something. I can send you. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Together. Or on my, uh, you can send it to climatechatclub at gmail dot com or or on Twitter or anything. I'd be really appreciated. Yeah, so I'll much. test it first. No, someone theoretically, else. I someone here would know how to do this. Thanks so much. Cool. Safe, Dan. <laughs> Already. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Uh, yeah, be safe. Great weekend. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to everyone. Tomorrow uh, for... at oh, about 11.30, I think Justin has a session. Yeah do, oh, yeah, do join us in the other time zone with the American crowd where yeah. things get a little yeah. um, crazier, <laughs> to put it simply. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very thank much. You. Have a nice weekend. Yep. Thank you, Tomago. Have a nice weekend. Eid Mubarak, everyone. Yep. Thank you, everyone. Yep. Take care, everyone. Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye, bro. Bye-bye. Arigato, Tomoko-san. <laughs>